Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, the fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Well, as we kick off a brand new week, we uh, do so with the NHL seemingly in a little bit of limbo. Are we still on track for camp starting in mid-July? Do we have any better of a feel as to when games are going to start? The answer to both those questions is, uh, I don't know, because uh, we really don't. At this point, we, we have no idea what this is going to look like. Look, I, I'm not – we got Elliot Friedman coming up later this hour. He'll join us at 2.30. I'm not necessarily critical of it at all because I understand there's a lot that goes into these conversations and a ton that goes into – restarting a season in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. I'm, I'm fully aware that this is not an easy situation the NHL is wading through, uh, nor do I think they're doing a poor job. This is not critical at all. I just wonder at this point what the frustration level is like if you're an NHL player because you know that there is a plan to start up. You've got rough dates, but Today is the official start of the NHL's Phase 2, which means players are allowed to, on a voluntary basis, go back to their team facilities, start skating in small groups, using team facilities, all that type of stuff. But we still don't know when a training camp is going to start. We don't know where a training camp is going to be. So if you're a player, you still don't know what your itinerary is. You still don't know where you're going, when you're going, and what it's going to look like. So I just wonder if at this point, there's a little bit of restlessness or frustration or whatever the word would be if you're a player and and you can have you, you can have both like the NHL can be doing their due diligence and and not be open for criticism because I don't think it's time to be criticism criticizing them yet but at the same time as a player you can still be frustrated because you want to know what's going on and you want to know when you're leaving your family and where you're going and what it's going to look like when you, once you get there and whether or not you're going to have to self-quarantine. I just wonder if the NHL is starting to run into a situation where, not that they're running out of time, but they might, just because of, of pressure and all that type of stuff, they might be forced to come out with some sort of announcement or they might be um, forced to decide on where they're going to go. As we talked about last week, Kleiner, if, if the NHL is going to get this underway, the first thing that needs to be enacted is where they're going to go. It's kind of tough to do anything other than... Um, talk in conjecture and hypotheticals until they have their spots decided upon and until they know where everybody's going to go so i just i just wonder if we're getting close to um the nhl having to make some sort of more definitive announcement on what this is going to look like where it's going to go and what the dates are going to be because right now and and elliot has talked about this for weeks we'll follow up with him on it again coming up at 2 30 but Phase two is is a very small step because very few guys are taking part in phase two. It's it's all about that third phase and when training camps can start. And with the NBA having all of their dates set and NHL players knowing that, I, I just wonder if when NHL players are, are going to really put the pressure on the NHL so they have a little bit more of a definitive idea as to what's going on. Yeah, and the last thing you want to do when dealing with a global pandemic is make any rushed decisions. And so I don't want any of this to come across as like we're trying to force the NHL to, to rush into making any type of decision. 
completely 100% check every box before you get into this thing but the fact that we had uh what I've heard some people call Gary Bettman day where he came out made this announcement from his very bland background basement and did all these interviews and and everything like that it was okay awesome we got some stuff and there's been nothing since then and since then the NBA has come out with an entire plan and we're still waiting for the NHL to come out with where are these games going to be played? We know there's going to be two hub cities. We know that it's down to potentially 10, but that the other cities weren't officially ruled out, although I'm sure you could probably do the math and figure out that there's a couple that aren't going to be uh, doing this. But it, it was even even the, okay, we have these 10 cities, but we could go to some other ones too. Like they, they couldn't even commit to just having the, the 10 finalists. You're starting to be like, okay, what's the next bit of information? Because like you, we're not completely running out of time but you have players coming from all across the globe mm -hmm. to to go into these training camps and like with the, the the Leafs Toronto was left out or the GTA was left out of uh the next phase for Ontario opening up again what does that mean for the Leafs now well we know the Raptors in their training probably going to be outside of Toronto or at least they were looking at doing it outside of Toronto so what does it mean for the Leafs? And this is the issue you run into when you have all these different cities, and in this case, a couple different countries and different restrictions in different places. It becomes very difficult to get everything kind of uniform, and that's what the NHL is looking for. And it's just there's never there's never going to be a perfect scenario where all, uh, I guess, 24 teams are going to be able to just let her buck and get going. So it's it's going to be very tricky for the NHL, but to come out and have this big announcement and then nothing for over a week, it gets We're a little bit We're going on two weeks tomorrow, right? Yeah, exactly. So to, to have all of that and nothing and an entire league just be like, yeah, cool, this is our whole plan and this is what we're doing, you, you start to get a little frustrated about it and you just start to, okay, we had this bit, bit of excitement, we want a little bit more now. We, we got a bit of a taste, mm -hmm. but now, now, now we want more and more and more with this. And the NHL is giving us less and less and less and less and less. It's not at the stage of major league baseball yet, which took another kick in the teeth today, but you do start to wonder when's this next bit of information coming out. I, I just, I just wonder what exactly, like what are the things holding up the next step of an announcement and again exactly. it's not a it's not a criticism because i really do believe the nhl is is going out of their way to make sure they do this right and so that they they don't find themselves in a spot where this is rolled out poorly or they run into snags that could delay them or so this is not a criticism it's more just a slight frustration because we're all like i can't even imagine being a player but just from even my standpoint I'm like okay when are we getting back to work and, and what's it going right. to look like and, and what are we planning for? And I know that there's so much that goes into it and there's a ton that needs to be figured out. It's just I'm very curious as to what, what exactly is holding it up and what are the big things they're trying to figure out. For instance, Elliot, who has talked about this a couple of times, points to June 21st, which is the next border announcement for Canada and the United States, and, and that's when he wonders um, we get some news. June 21st just also happens to be Father's Day. It's a Sunday, so we're a few weeks away from that. That's the next border announcement. But... <sighs> Are, are they waiting for that to determine what the cities are? You know, th there's been this talk about, well, if, if you have to quarantine for 14 days in Canada, you can't have ca Canadian cities as, as hub cities. And my question over the last few days has been, why not? Like, 
just for instance, this is June 8th. If they announce that training camps start on July 15th, just for just for a random date, if they can start training camps on July 15th, why not just say, hey, come back before July 15th and make sure that you're there so you can that's, – and that's if the, the, there isn't some sort of special dispensation where they don't have to self-isolate. But, like, even if they do, if Edmonton and Vancouver are the two best spots, and I'm not saying they are or they aren't, but if that is what they decide, that Edmonton and Vancouver are the two best spots to do this – well, then do it even if there's a self-isolation rule. Okay, so the players have to spend two weeks or ten days or whatever it is in a hotel, and then they can get back on the ice. I just It doesn't seem as detrimental as, as the NHL is making it out to be. Now, I, I get it. Um, I, I, I get it. That's very easy for me to say on the outside. It's just I, I'm, I'm really, really interested to see what exactly the things are. We probably won't ever know, but what exactly the things are that are, are holding the next step of this going forward to be right now. Right, and I, I think the issue with the the 14-day quarantine is that you're already, and I know Brian Burke was very tongue-in-cheek, well, maybe not even tongue-in-cheek about it, but Brian Burke bringing up that some of these players talking about not wanting to be away from their families, some may need a bit of a break from their families after being with them for longer than they've had, but you're if you're saying, okay, Vancouver and Edmonton are the best places, again, not saying we are, not saying they are, but just for this hypothetical, okay, so come here a couple weeks early and quarantine. It's like, well, the players are already a little antsy about just having point A to point B going from hotel to rink, hotel to rink, hotel to rink all the time. Um, having them or forcing them to take an extra 10 days to just be in the hotel and just stick there. I understand we're talking about millionaires and yada, 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 that, that whole thing. But you're asking a not insignificant amount of human beings to just sit in a hotel and wait for 10 days just so that then they can sit in a hotel and wait for a while while also still playing hockey at a high level. I, I do understand why that might be uh, a bridge too far from the, the player's perspective. And maybe. So then choose two city, choose Vegas and Columbus. Boom. There you go. Right. I've solved it. Yeah. And that's, I've that, solved, that's, that's I, counter, you know like what? This. I should, I should be in charge of this. I just solved it right there. Vegas, yeah. Columbus, done let's go and i know it's not that simple i do and i'm not trying to trivialize all that goes into this the but it sounds like everybody you talk to it sounds like they've got their testing figured out they they know where they're going to get the test from they know how they're going to administer the test the nba has come out with how they're going to do it um so so the nhl's got the testing side figured out so that part they they have all rounded up we know what the format is going to look like all of the format questions have been answered now by the nhl reseeding best of sevens so on and so forth now literally the only thing we're missing now is when and where like we know what it's going to look like and we know how it's going to go forward and we know why they're doing it when and where is this going to happen? That's that's what we're missing. And and those just happen to be, for you know everybody, the most important of the W's, I think, at this. When and where. But I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I, I know it probably sounds like I'm criticizing the NHL. I'm actually not. I just, the whole thing fascinates me because we've never been in this situation before. And, and because of that, I'm not going to criticize the NHL. It's just like, it's, it's really interesting, and and I would, like I, I would love to be a fly on the wall and write a book about this in in a decade, and and because I think it'd be a fascinating read, maybe only yeah. to me and other nerds, but I think it'd be a fascinating read. 
No, I agree. And I, I, I've kind of been hoping, like, I know we're trying to limit access as much as possible, but if we could get one documentary crew in there, I think that would be amazing. The 10 part series on HBO coming out whenever would be fantastic on this. And I, I do think the longer this goes, I understand it would be, it would mean X amount of dollars for the Alberta economy and, and X, Y, and Z for this, that, and the other thing. It might just be time to take the L on having a, having any of this be in Canada. Like if that is potentially the holdup, then just, don't worry about it. Like instead of waiting a couple weeks till father's day to see if the border could be reopened, just be like, Hey, look, we can't take the risk. We need to get this thing moving. So Vegas and Columbus or Vegas and wherever are, are the spots. We appreciate the thought Edmonton, but sorry, we just got to move on. Like at some point, maybe you just, maybe not half of the games have to be in Canada. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Monday. Hopefully you had a good weekend. We are underway on this lovely Monday afternoon. Another wide world of sports week ahead for you. Eh, maybe not, but golf is coming back. NASCAR uh, continues to run their schedule. We had another UFC event over the weekend, which we will get to in mere seconds. Um, we're getting closer. We're less than a month away from NBA players back on the court for training camp. Um, Formula One for nerds like me uh, is back in less than a month. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're on uh, your AM dial at 960 AM online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Say, hey, Google, play Sportsnet 960 on your smart speaker at home you can get us on the radio player canada app uh and uh for another week back on instagram live if you want to come watch these two yahoos do the show uh we're at steinberg 1984 uh i've got the fresh cut nice and short down to the wood yeah um i believe right now the the hair on my face is longer than the hair on my head um i do need to shave i've been very lazy over the weekend uh so come on through on steinberg 1984 if you want to watch the show on ig live um UFC 250 over the weekend, uh, another absolutely dominant performance from perhaps the best pound-for-pound pound human being in the sport, uh, Amanda Nunez. She was unbeatable on Saturday. Uh, more on that in a second. But, Kleiner, I went to a bar for the first time since uh, since things have opened up. Um, it, was, uh, it was very cool to be back to normal and having beers at a bar with a couple of a uh, couple of people who have been in my bubble. Uh, it was neat. It was uh, it was cool to be back. It was cool to uh, be ordering off a menu again um, and ordering buckets of beer and getting pints. There you go. I got a first thing I got was a Guinness. So I was like, well, that's the one thing that you can't recreate at home. As much as you could get the can, it's just not, not the, the same, same unless no. it's coming out of a tap. So it, that's where I went to watch UFC 250. Was out at a bar on Saturday night. Was in a coffee shop all day yesterday writing it was uh it was very uh it was very cool they're not back to normal there's not as many people in there and everybody's wearing masks and it's 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 different but it's a whole lot less different than it was in march so it's uh yeah. that that was that was very cool uh did you have an opportunity to, did you watch 250 live did you watch it a little bit later on uh did you see the fight on saturday 
Uh, I watched it a little bit later on. Saturday we were uh, otherwise occupied, so yeah, watched uh, watched the fights a little bit later on and watched the the absolute dominance once again by Amanda Nunes, the GOAT, uh, the, the greatest women's MMA fighter of all time. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, making a, a title defense in a second weight class for the first time. Just an unbelievable performance. Uh, incredible heart shown by Felicia Spencer. But once again, if the first thing we're talking about is your heart and toughness, there's a pretty good chance you got your ass beat. And that's exactly what happened with a, a tremendous showing for like Amanda she, Nunes. She was as as tough as any human being I've ever seen. Like, yeah, she was pummeled for five straight rounds in the main event on Saturday. Like, it was yeah. it was hard to watch. I, I was feeling really good the first couple of rounds about my uh, minus 140 bet. Uh, I put 20 down on Nunez to finish by KO or TKO. I was like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good about my minus 140 here. Because Nunez to win was, uh, depending on where you looked, I think in Vegas she was minus 650. I got, you could have got her at minus 450 on, on some different online sites. But still, you're not, you're not making much money on a minus 450 or minus 650. 50 bet so i no, i'm like minus 140 that's almost even odds okay i can double my money and she's got a pretty good chance prior to last night 13 of her 19 wins had come by ko or tko and she is pummeling felicia yeah. spencer like it, it is yeah, it wasn't it for is, a lack of trying that there was no finish <laughs> and after about three rounds of of spencer absorbing knockout quality shot after knockout quality shot i was like I don't think Nunez is finishing this. Like Spencer is is as tough as I've seen. Like I have I have very rarely seen another fighter absorb that much of a beating and being able to go 5 rounds, which in some ways is impressive, in other ways is a little disturbing. Um and and it was as dominant a 5-round fight that I've ever seen. Like that that looked like George St. Pierre and his prime going up against guys where he would and, and the criticism on GSP was always that he was a little boring and that he didn't he didn't really do enough to finish fights. He was so technical and and so prepared that he would just outpoint you to death and win. Well, as yeah. you said, Nunez certainly tried and tried and tried and tried to finish that fight. Uh, so it wasn't for a lack of trying, but that reminded me of George St. Pierre in his heyday, absolutely dismantling opponents for five rounds. And that's what Nunez did. I Like, you could make a very easy argument that Amanda Nunez is the greatest fighter on the planet Earth right now. Uh, like, that was incredible. And as you said, to weight classes, and she dominates wherever she... Like, who... Who fights her? Like who? Who beats her? I, I I don't know. She she is terrifying and showed us why again on Saturday night. Yeah, and like you, the the thing that was so impressive. Mean, there was a lot that was impressive, but like you could have ended that fight, brought out the next one hundred and forty five pound challenger, and Nunez could have gone five more rounds. Like it, it, yeah, she, she looked like she could go hard. all day. Totally. Yeah. She didn't look any different than when she walked into the octagon. Like It was incredibly impressive. And, and this is one where you kind of wish the corner would have stepped in for Felicia Spencer. Like, okay, especially after that barrage to end the fourth round and all the credit in the world to Felicia Spencer for not giving up. And especially she had an out when Nunez has her back and locks in the choke at the end of the fourth round. A lot of people would have been like, you know what? Gave it a go. This ain't my night. Let's just tap this one out and let's go home. But she decided she wanted another five minutes of punishment. And I thought at that point her dean could have stepped in and be like, okay, 
this is enough. Well, when she gets dropped, this is the time where we stop it. And then between rounds four and five, perfect opportunity for her corner instead of, well, just stick to the game plan to say, hey, you know what? We're saving you. We, we appreciate your toughness. We appreciate the work you put in, the opportunity that this is, but this ain't your night. We're going to throw this one out, and that's going to be it. it. It was it was an impressive showing, but I thought this was another example of the, the corner could have stepped in or the, the referee could have stepped in and, and saved a very tough fighter from taking that much damage. Uh, it was good to see Cody Garbrandt back, uh, snap the three-fight oh. losing skid with a buzzer beater against uh, Rafael Asensal. Say it for me better. I'm so bad with the Brazilian. Rafael Asensal. Asensal. Um, Asensal, yeah. Asensal. Uh, Garbrandt was really good, and that was uh, yeah. that was pretty impressive. Um, Sean O'Malley looked good. Um, it was uh, it was a really uh, it was a really fun fight. I thought um, I thought O'Malley <laughs> when he didn't even follow up, just walked away. You're like, okay, that was impressive. Yep. Like usually when you, you knock a guy down, if you're not a fight fan, you you try to. Um, you know, you try to go and uh, and follow up and make sure that you get the get the decision. Well, in this case, uh, Eddie Wineland was out cold on his feet, and O'Malley knew it, walked away, and didn't even celebrate. He was like, "Act like you've been here before," and that's what he did. Right. Um, so, finished the fight and walked away. So, yeah, I thought all in all for a for a pandemic fight card, pretty solid one. It's it's weird. It's weird uh, watching UFC events at the Apex. Like, even in Jacksonville when they were doing them at the arena, it had felt more like, yeah, there's nobody there, but it still felt more like a pay-per-view. This It has been mm-hmm. weird, but at the same time, it's been, it's been some really good cards they've been putting on. And ever since the first fight, they have not had uh, a positive coronavirus test, and they've been able to keep it going where the fighters are safe, and they can rock out one fight a week, four fights a month if they need to. Like, UFC's done a good job. I give them a lot of credit. Yeah, yeah. They they did not uh, ease their way into this by any stretch with the three fights in eight days. And since the initial scare, I believe there was a scare this weekend, um, but I, I think it, it ended up being all right. But, no, overall, they, they've done a great job of, of running their shows. I think it's a pretty good example of, of what it what this whole thing can look like as we work our way to towards a, a new normal. And we've talked about it before where fight fans are a bit more conditioned with the, the no audience thing, because a, you, you have unique access to the corners where you can hear what they're saying. I, I don't, I don't think you would get that from sports like basketball or, or the, the NHL, but also we know this one because the ultimate fighter, we've seen this before in that building. We, we've seen stuff that's looked like it before. So, um, but no, they've they've done a great job. It's been really entertaining. And you've seen a few star-making performances. Guys like Justin Gaethje now has a bigger name because he's fighting on a, a bigger platform. And Amanda Nunez is getting the respect I say she's deserved for a while because no one else was watching anything else last night or on Saturday night. You go to Twitter, it was all UFC 250. So uh, a few star-making performances for sure. Uh, and then the uh, biggest star of them all um, decided to take Saturday night out of nowhere as a time to put himself back in the spotlight out of nowhere. Uh, Conor McGregor announces his retirement again. Um, so Conor McGregor on Twitter has retired from active mixed martial arts. I The first thing I did was like, is he kidding? Of course he's not going to retire. Uh, right. I, I laughed when I saw it. He, 
here's Joe Rogan. This was uh, his response on the pay-per-view on Saturday night. I don't buy it for a second. I think Conor McGregor's trying to get you to talk about him, and you just did. What better way to get people to talk about him when there's a spectacular fight filled with people dominating? What he did was just sort of hijack the whole situation and say he's retiring. I'm not buying it. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy it for a second either. Yeah, no. Conor McGregor, who the only and and this is not a this is not a, again a criticism on him at all. But Conor McGregor is driven by one thing right now. Like he loves to fight and he loves to compete, but like he wants the biggest paydays he can find, and he as he should. He's the biggest star in the sport, and so yeah, right now he's only going to fight when he feels the payday is where it should be, and this is kind of the tactic that a lot of guys take these days is, well, the UFC's not paying me what I want. I'm not getting the type of purse that I think I should get, so I'm going to retire. That's kind of the that, that's what that's what the tactic, if, if Gary Bettman's tactic is lock out the players, uh, <laughs> UFC fighters are retire if I'm not getting what I want, and uh, what is this, retirement number three for Conor McGregor? Yeah. How much do you buy it, my friend? Uh, not even a little bit, no. I'm uh, I, I'm full full selling this one, in, in fact. I, I don't mind it because what, what's happening right now with him, with John Jones, and with Henry Cejudo, um, all in some form or fashion retiring over the last 10 days or so, um, it, it's really shining a light on fighter pay in the UFC and how really, really bad fighter pay in the UFC is right now. And, and there's like Dana White coming out and saying that John Jones was asking for Deontay Wilder money and thinking that that was outrageous is laughable. John Jones should be getting Deontay Wilder money. The, the UFC, when you go through, um, th there have been a number of stories written on this in the last year or so because of uh, an antitrust lawsuit against the UFC. We're seeing a lot of their financial information coming out. The UFC pays their fighters about 20% of the, the revenue that, that is brought in. That ain't close to being fair. And so I don't mind Conor McGregor and John Jones and Henry Cejudo taking this stance while the UFC um while while the UFC is kind of in this spotlight, taking this stance of, okay, let's show you guys how little we're actually making for these fights. Daniel Cormier was some pay-per-view, like some of the biggest buy rates in UFC history, and he's not making two million dollars to fight John Jones. That ain't enough. Uh, if you're locking me in a cage against that dude, I need to get paid. For well, it. and especially so, compared and I, to what their what their take per fight is, right? Right. Like, when yeah, you exactly. see what the UFC's banking, and and then compare it to what the the fighter salaries are, that's yeah. that's where the inequality comes in. Exactly. So th this one, I don't buy Conor McGregor. This is another one where I think he's going to fight before the year is done. So I I'm not buying a, a Conor McGregor retirement at all, but I don't mind that he's doing it this time because it kind of shines a light on some different situations that need to be addressed in the UFC. Conor McGregor is coming out of retirement. Doesn't have the same, does not have the no. same feel. No. Uh, Return fight part three. Exactly. We are underway on a Monday afternoon. He's Klein. I'm Steinberg. Hopefully you are doing well. Hey, what is the holdup? What are the things that are keeping the NHL from announcing those big next steps as to when they return to play? We'll find out with our regular Monday chatter, NHL insider, the one and only Elliot Friedman, coming up in about two minutes' time. Happy Monday underway on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
Sportsnet 960, the fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. You're reopening, but will visitors come? Calgary Lock and Safe recommends hands-free doors for safety. Install now and pay when you can. Explore at calgarylockandsafe.com. Mr. Friedman, good afternoon. And uh, today, July 8th, is uh, the day that Phase 2 of the NHL's relaunch plan officially gets underway. Uh, Depending on where you are, like here in Calgary, they have not opened up team facilities yet. They're uh, doing preparations for the first part of the week and then are expected to open up the Saddledome and facilities a little bit later on this week so they can officially get Phase 2 underway. Just from who you've talked to, players, teams, so on and so forth, how how is day one? of this rolled out across the league well i'll tell you this like when that when the oilers sent out that photo of you know uh of just like six guys on the ice um i was like i i don't know why i was so excited it was just nice to see people on the ice just standing there in a still photo um wearing nhl jerseys Wearing NHL jerseys, it was nice. Um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, um, it depends on where you are. Like, as you said, Calgary, next few days. Uh, Montreal might be a little bit longer. Pittsburgh's got a few guys there. Edmonton's got guys there. Um, you know, I, I think some places it's going to be longer than others. And, and basically it depends on who's around. But um, I don't think you're going to see this go overly crazy in terms of people using team facilities, but it's exciting to see it. The big one is obviously preparing for Phase 3, Pat. Uh, and by the way, uh, if you're wondering uh, who was there for the Oilers, uh, Alex Chason, Matt Benning, Chris Russell, Tyler Benson, Stuart Skinner were the five players uh, at uh, Rogers Place in Edmonton today on the ice and uh, getting some skating back in. So, and and as you said, the big thing is when they get to Phase Three. So, how how long ideally, if the NHL had everything go according to plan, how long ideally does Phase Two last for here? Does this phase last for? Yeah. I think we're looking at training camps sometime between July 10th and August 1st. And I think everybody is trying to pin down exactly what that date's going to be. I don't think we know yet. Like, there's some, there's some heavy lifting that has to get done here. Number one, they've got to work on getting um, some stuff done with, um, with, the, with the hubs. We've got to figure out where the hub cities are going to be. We've got to figure out if Canada is going to be a part of this. Um, I figure we've got another week to two to sort that out. That's number one. Number two, uh, they've got to figure out I, the, the protocols for how uh, phase three is going to work. Like, you know, one of the things that I was talking about, I just did my radio hit in Toronto. There was a player the other day who said to me that, you know, one of the things that they'd brought up in their team was, You know, when we're in training camp, um, is it just going to be, you know, like home slash hotel and rink? Like, um, and they talked about it with the hubs too. Is there a way that, you know, we could buy, like, for the month or two that we're in there, um, restaurants that we could go to? Like, say, four restaurants that we could go to that we know they're just ours. 
So they're kind of in the bubble. And all of those conversations have got to happen, testing, all that stuff. So, like, you know, Pat, you saw that 22-page memo for page two, for phase two. Mm-hmm. Guys told me that was a lot of work. Like, you, they said, you have no idea how much work came out, had to be done to get that. So they're saying to me now, that was phase two, which is voluntary. Imagine how hard it's going to be when it's mandatory. So I think there's a lot of work to get done, hubs, Canada, um, the protocol, and the CBA. Like They're working on that all, too. There's a lot to get done between now and now. So, and this is not a criticism of the NHL at all, because I understand, as you just talked about, like this is this is an arduous effort that they're going through, and this is not easy. But all of a sudden, the NBA has dates and location, and they're ready to rock and roll. Owners have ratified, players have approved, and, and they're back on June 30th, the training camps. So what like what is holding up the NHL from having the same definitives? Well, I, I think that I think the Canadian border is one thing. I, I think that is absolutely uh, one issue. Um, I think also they've got to get this whole. Uh, I think the players want to know exactly. Um, I think the players want to know exactly what the finances are going to be, and I think some players are looking at it, and they're really trying to keep this out of the public because they realize like you look at what's happening at baseball it's not pretty to see that people don't want to see that kind of argument in public right now but i i think what's happening is you know they know that if they don't play the escrow is going to be 35 i think they want to make a deal on what it would be if they do play because one player said to me that because I've been reporting if they do play, it might just go down to 27 or 28. And one player reached out to me, Pat, he said, it's more like we're hoping it'll go down to 27 or 28. They don't know that for sure. So, you know, he said a lot of people, they just want to know what it's going to be. They're saying, look, if, if, if we're going to take the risk and we're going to come back, we just want to know exactly what it's going to be. So that's why I think the... Uh, CBA talks have become a big part of this just because I think everybody wants an understanding of if we do do this, what the outcome will be. Well, and I know that you've been saying for the last couple of weeks, whether on with the boys in the morning or on with us, you've said, you know, the, the next border announcement is what, June 21st is what we're waiting for? It's due by June 21st. So so I think the last one, and please, Forgive me if I'm a little bit off on this. The last one was uh, took effect May 21st, but they announced it sooner. Like okay. today, Trudeau made the announcement that your some of your family can come across, but they still have to do a 14-day quarantine. If there's a quarantine, I, I don't think they're coming to Canada. And so is it still your belief that until that decision is announced and, and decided upon, there probably won't be news from the NHL in terms of their dates and, and their locations? Well, I would, I would say that's most likely unless they're simply running out of time and they're told either, either they have an indication it's not going to change or they can't get an answer. That's kind of you know where we are. Okay. And, and – I know this one is not easy, but like, do you have do you have a feel on what's a realistic t- 
time frame, ballpark time frame for when the puck actually drops and, and we're watching hockey for real again? Well, I, I look at it this way. I think you're looking at a training camp of 15 days probably. Um, maybe a bit more, but I, I've heard it, it's sometime between 15 and 21 days, right? So if they're in by July 10th, and we know it's going to be no earlier than that, then you're looking at uh, the puck dropping begin the first week of August. Maybe. Everywhere, okay. every time you go later, add 15 to 22 days. Okay, and that's that's probably what you're looking at. Okay, that makes sense. Elliot, like, I think right us? now, I, I think right now, the earliest we're looking is the beginning of August. Now, the one thing I say is everything changes every day. And the league and the players could agree to negotiate something different. Like maybe enough players get skating now that they say we only need two weeks of training camp. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't. But the timeline can always change if everybody feels that it can be changed. Do you get the sense that there's any frustration from players and that they're like, we, we just want to know exactly what's happening. We want to know when we're going, where we're going. Like, do, do, do you get the sense that the, yes, the I do believe there, I, I do believe there are players who want that. I think they want to know when we're going to play, if we play. Yes, I, I do think that there are players who want that. I, I just think that right now, I don't think there's a defined answer because, A, they're waiting on the border, and, B, I, I think also if, if it is important to the players, and I think it is, that they get an answer on the economics, you've got to negotiate that, and those things are never easy. Final question on on this topic, which has been the dominant topic for the last three months. But uh, final one is, you know, you talk about the border, and, and Bill Daly has been uh, very clear. Gary Bettman has been very clear that the, the 14-day self-isolation uh, for players coming over the border if they were to host games in Canada is a non-starter. How come? Because if, if, you, if you were to say that the training camp start July 15th, isn't there plenty of time for players to come back, self-isolate, and, and then be back for training camp? How come that is such a big deal? Because players don't want to do it. Okay. Is, is it simple as that, hey? Yeah, well, I mean, look at it. Like, Pat, like right now, I mean, it's like uh, if you society is opening up more and more everywhere you look, right? Who wants to isolate at the beginning of July? Yeah. Like, like, honestly, like, Pat, if you told me I had to go somewhere now and isolate for 14 days and look around what's going on out there in terms of more and more people are getting more brazen about not paying attention to social distancing, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, I came in Toronto the other day, there was a, uh, there was a restaurant that was serving their drinks on the patio and people were freaking out about it. Um mm-hmm. I just don't think it's reasonable to expect people to do that now. I just nope. Don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. And that's 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 what I thought, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Elliot Friedman's with us from Hockey Night in Canada. Okay, changing gears from that subject to uh, some news that we found out today. 
tell us about the Hockey Diversity Alliance and what Evander Kane and a number of other NHL players have put together here over the last few days. Well, I had a chance to talk briefly with Trevor Daly today about it. He's one of the members. Um, and he said they've been kind of talking about it since uh, Akeem Alou first went public uh, around the uh, beginning of December. Um, that they've kind of been discussing about what they can do. And now that you're sort of have a lot of time to figure out things you can do, they've had some opportunities to discuss it uh, even more. And, uh, you know, he said that um, they all want to make a difference. Uh, they all want to, you know, move the line, so to speak, of, what, uh, of, of, of hockey and diversity in it. And they figured that the best way to do it was to do it together. And I think the group will grow. I think there's going to be more people that are going to be part of it. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that they said they want to work with the NHL, but they're not going to be part of the NHL. I think they, they clearly want to be uh, a little bit uh, independent. And, um, you know, I, you know I, 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 they, they were on some Zoom calls with Colin Kaepernick. One of the people who's involved with this is, is Kaepernick's attorney, who also now represents Akeem Malou. And they talked a little bit about, you know, Kaepernick and the things that he went through and the things he believes in and, and what kind of advice he gave them uh, in standing up for your beliefs when not everybody is with you. And I think the biggest difference between what Kaepernick went through and the time that this is starting is that I think there's more and more people, obviously right now, who would go back and say, if I could look at my opinion when Kaepernick did it, I might feel differently. And so that's one of the conversations they had. And, you know, as, as, as Trevor Daly said to me, he just wants to make sure that more people like him have an opportunity to play hockey and also see him and his children as equal that happened when he was young. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think it's a great idea, and and I'm glad that they're doing this. It's it, it's funny, and I'm, I'd be curious as to your opinion on this. Like, I I was a little disappointed at the time going back to November because we were right in the belly of the beast during the mm-hmm. the whole Bill Peters Akima Lou situation that dominated our airwaves for five straight days, and it was mm-hmm. at times. It, our text line was extremely uncomfortable to read, and and there were some uh, real difficult things that we were that, that we saw written on our text line um mm-hmm. and and so i just i remember that and it was disappointing at the time that we didn't see nhlers come out and say i'm standing with the kimalu or, or teams come out there, there was none of that at the time and and i'm glad that that's happening now in the wake of what we're seeing around the world and, and specifically in the united states but so i i guess i guess for me I, i'm disappointed that it didn't happen earlier but i guess in the big picture elliot it's a good thing that we're seeing some of the most prominent names in the nhl come out and 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 lend a voice and and standing against a, a really serious issue here well, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I've done like a lot, like, I think like everybody else, I've done a lot of thinking about this. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that's very clear is that the, the next generation, like I'm about to turn 50, the, the younger generation than myself, they're very different. Then their attitudes and their ways about things are very different than when I grew up 
and they are much uh, I, like I think they're much more colorblind than we were. Um, even I think people who are good people and want to do the right thing, I think this younger generation is even more that way. And I think this younger generation looks at, you know, their economics, the economic situation for themselves, which is looks a lot more bleak than ours was. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this whole system in a lot of ways is BS and we want to topple it. And, you know, now I think the other thing too is um, like even, like even people um, I think who are very supportive of police have seen some of the videos on social media that have been happening and they're looking at that and going, yeah, some of these things can't happen. And I, I think, so I think that overall, we're all kind of looking back and saying, okay, what don't we know or what didn't we understand? Like I, I read for myself, like I read all these art, I, I've seen a lot of things about the fund, the police. All I've been doing the last little while, in addition to my job, is just reading about it. Like, what does this mean? And I yep. think we're all trying to educate ourselves. And yep. I have to tell you that today, Pat, I read, and people in Calgary know both Sherry and Dwayne Ford really well. Like, if you haven't read that Sherry Ford piece today, like, that's, that's really something. That is a, a powerful, powerful piece of writing. And I thought about it a lot after I read it. I just think that we're all opening our, 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 because we're all kind of sitting around doing nothing right now because the world has come to a standstill. I think we all have a lot of time to think. And I think some of us are being, are seeing things that we just weren't aware of or didn't understand or didn't know. Yeah. I, and, and, and I think that's, that's very well said. Um, what is happening in Ottawa with Eugene Melnick? The team owner seems to have found himself in hot water again. Can you kind of help us wade through it? What's happening in our nation's capital? Well, um, you know, there was a story that broke last week about the Ottawa Sanders Foundation and Eugene Melnick, the owner of the Sanders, they were breaking up. But the contract for the Sanders Foundation to represent the team was coming up and they announced that they couldn't reach out a deal and the senators were going to have to find a new charity. And today a story came out from the Ottawa Sun. And I will tell you, I had heard in the past that Eugene Melnick, who received an organ donation that saved his life, wanted more money to go towards organ donation. And it had been a bit of a disagreement between the two. And people who knew about that disagreement, Pat, um, felt that it was going to be a problem long-term, and it was. But today came another story out of the Ottawa Sun, which looked like if it, and I didn't, I was looking at this today. Someone gave me a bit of an, a primer on how to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you go through uh, Canada Revenue ta uh, tax uh, return information that's online, it sure looks like, the amount of money that's been donated, like for a long time, people told me that the best charity, like the best charity in terms of percentage of money to donate to that actually got used for charity was the Salvation Army. And they always said, check for places 
that have high turnover, percentage of funds you donate that actually go to the charities. And Melnick, in 2017, I think it was, his charity, 37% went to charity, the rest to fees and other things. But last year it was like 5%. Hmm. And it's like, you, bet, you, have, you have to have a good explanation for this stuff. And from what I understand, he is going to try to come out with an explanation. But like when, when everything's going the way it's going in Ottawa, Pat, you can't have that. Yeah. So is this, this could be potentially a big deal then? It is. Like if you have a charity that only 5% of your, like years ago, USA Today did a big thing on athlete charities. And they put it on the front page. And it's like, I remember, like, Bertie Williams, the center fielder for the Yankees, like, like less than 10% of his charity actually went towards what it was hoping to go to. And, like, it was embarrassing. Like, one, one per, like a couple of years ago, I was looking at doing some charity work, and I'm still looking at it. And someone said to me, I give you one piece of advice. And I said, okay, what's that? And they said, if you're going to do a charity and you're going to put your name on it, you better make sure that money is going to where it's supposed to go. Because hmm. one, you, obviously you have a responsibility to do it. And number two, if it ever gets out that your charity is, is not delivering that money, it's, it's an embarrassment that you're never going to get over. Yeah. And I've always remembered that. If you do these things, you have to do them right. You have a moral obligation to do them right. And, I'm always willing to get an explanation, but the optics here don't look good. And I should shout out a Sanders fan on Twitter by the name of Graham Nichols, who today was so mad at that story, he said the $5,000 that they, that they gave in 2018, we can beat that in a couple hours. And Sanders fan did it. Yeah. Yeah, and I also, I also read a pretty interesting tweet about the whole thing. It was just like, People in Ottawa are, are so eager to love their team, but it's been a real difficult slog for them to do that over the last number of years, which I was like, I can imagine. It, is not, it has not been friendly to be a Sens fan over the last couple of years. Well, it's tough, too. Like, if you look at the, just the purely hockey team this year, they didn't have a great record, but they took a step. They have good young players, and they played hard. And, and now, like, the tough thing for them is they're not going to play for nine months, right? Yep. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man, like, these are the stories. Like, you can't drop a puck and play a good game to erase that story. It's tough. Yeah. Yep. Uh, great stuff, as always, Mr. Friedman. Before we let you go, uh, sounds like some good news in your neck of the woods, at least in Ontario. I know you got to wait a little bit in Toronto, but uh, was how, how is the, the news about phase two of, of opening things up in Ontario? How did you uh, receive that news today? Does it feel like good news? Does it feel like there's some forward momentum? I don't know. I mean, um, I, I, like, I, like I, to me, like, honestly, Pat, like, I have I have no idea. Like it, it just seems like doesn't it just seem like the world tips on its ear like every day? Yeah. Like, it does. I, I wanted to I want it to be good news because I want businesses to survive. I want people to get back to work. Like I don't like people not working and businesses not being able to go as much as they can, it's bad for people's livelihoods, it's bad for people's mental health. 
I, I don't want that. I just, you know, like, I just hope that, like, I, like, it just seems to me that more and more people now are just saying, you know, like, especially with the weather getting nice, it's just like they're out there, right? Mm-hmm. And I just hope people are wearing masks. I just hope people are social distancing as much as they can. I want to see as much reopen as possible because it means that people get to work and people get to take care of their families. I don't know. Like, it's it, it's like... I just hope we don't look back in a couple of weeks and 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 see spikes. That's all I that's all I hope for. Well, I, I can give you a little bit of hope. In in Alberta, we've been opened province wide for almost a month now, and in Calgary, we've been open now for two weeks, and there has not been a spike as of yet. Like Edmonton's a city of 1.3 million people, and there has not been a major spike as of yet. And um, in Calgary, bars. You guys have done it right, though. Like I, I have to give Alberta like a lot of credit. It looks like you guys have done it have done it right. And I think in Ontario, after a bad start, mm-hmm. I think we tried to do it right. Um, it was just like, I, like there, I was looking at the pictures, like, the, like, like, like just like there was, there was a ton of people going out to restaurants and stuff. And, and I was like, oh, God, I, I just hope everybody here knows what they're doing. Yeah. No, I feel you. It's, uh, it's, it's really strange times, and you don't know how to feel about certain things or what you're supposed to feel. I, I, uh, I feel you 100% in that regard. Thank you, Mr. Friedman. We'll talk next week. Great stuff as always. All right, Pat. Take care. You too. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. You're reopening, but will visitors come? Calgary Lock and Safe recommends hands-free doors for safety. Install now and pay when you can. Explore at calgarylockandsafe.com. Always great stuff with Elliot Friedman. We'll react to that around the corner, plus some big Calgary Flames prospect news. We will uh, jump into that around the corner. It's Pinder and Steinberg on a Monday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I have now adopted this song as the official theme music of Calgary Flames prospect Dustin Wolf, Another honor for the 2019 seventh-round pick and Everett Silvertips goaltender. Dustin Wolf is now the Canadian Hockey League goalie of the year. And now anytime we talk about Dustin Wolf, we've got to play the Wolfpack theme, which I believe is the greatest wrestling theme in history. We can listen a little bit longer. It's a little bit of a morbid theme song, some dark imagery. A little bit. Don't turn your back on the Wolfpack. You might end up in a body bag. Like, I don't yeah. think that Dustin Wolf's going to be killing anybody anytime soon. Um, some killer numbers, but, though, all right. It's, uh, it's killing those pucks because they can't get past him. Am I right? <laughs> so. This is um, now his theme music, the CHL Goalie of the Year. He is already, in the last month, Dustin Wolf has signed his entry-level contract in the NHL, has been named Western Hockey League Goaltender of the Year, USA Hockey Goaltender of the Year, and is now the CHL Goaltender of the Year. This has been a pretty good run. I feel awful for anybody in junior hockey, specifically the the outgoing 20-year-olds, but I, I feel 
awful for CHL players coast to coast who didn't get to finish their seasons because that's just that's that's a devastating blow. That's that's months and games that they'll never get back in their hockey careers. And for a lot of twenty year olds, you know, the NHL isn't the next step, and and maybe they're not able to go play youth sports hockey. Like that could very well be the end of their high level competitive careers in hockey, and they, they don't get to finish their final season. Like I I actually feel awful for them. Um, but on the Dustin Wolf front, uh, good on him. This has been one hell of a run. You sign your entry-level deal, and you win three high-level goalie of the year awards, USA Hockey, Western Hockey League, and now Canadian Hockey League. Yeah, for a seventh-round draft pick, even if Dustin Wolf doesn't turn out to to be uh, a high-level NHL goalie, because you never know with the position, but uh, for a seventh-round pick, I can't think of a guy who's gotten more hype and more buzz as a seventh rounder than this young man. Good on him. This is uh, this is a pretty exciting player to watch over the next couple of years. Yeah, it is. And you kind of wish that he would be able to take the next step. But what's crazy about it is he's still too young to take that next step. Like he, he this isn't just some overage dominator. Like he, he still has another full year to go in the WHL uh, before he, he's eligible to come up to the American hockey league. So who knows what kind of numbers he's going to be able to put up in apparently the greatest goalie factory in Canada right now with the, uh, the Everett silver tips, but no, for an organization that, the, the best goalie news they've had in a while is signing a guy from the Czech Republic that no one had ever heard of, and he turned into a starter. Uh, this is definitely a, a breath of fresh air for the, the Flames goaltending situation and the, uh, the goalie prospects in the organization. Somebody, uh, when, I, when I announced the news uh, on Twitter today, um, well, I didn't announce it. When I tweeted the news on Twitter today, <laughs> uh, somebody had uh, texted and said, please, 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 let's hope he breaks the Flames drafted goaltender curse, which is fair because the Flames have not had the greatest of track records when it comes to goaltenders being drafted. Um, somebody on the text line says, let's hope it's not another Trevor Kidd. Well, the difference here is that Trevor Kidd was drafted 11th overall in 1990 and ahead of goat candidate Martin Brodeur like that one stings Dustin Wolf even if he never plays an NHL game was still a seventh round pick and so we're not talking about a guy the 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 team used a a high-end draft pick on and now all of a sudden he doesn't turn out the way they wanted like it's it's I feel a little unfair to compare Trevor Kidd to Dustin Wolf. Dustin Wolf um, was a calculated late round pick. He's a guy that goes against the goaltending grain these days. As Pinder says, he's normal size for a human. In fact, he's he's taller than the average human, but he's not average size for an NHL goaltender. He is small for an NHL goaltender. We had him on about a month ago, a little more than a month ago, when he signed his ELC. I think he signed his ELC on May 1st, and we had him on that day. And he said that the guy that he models his game after or, or sees a lot of similarities in is UC Saros of the Nashville Predators. Again, an undersized goalie NHL-wise. You take a look at Saros. He looks like a normal human, but he's not normal size for the NHL where you're looking at more six right. foot three, six foot four guys who have been the norm of late. But I, I don't know what he's going to turn into. 
I don't put predictions or projections on goaltenders anymore because that's stupid. They never work out. But let's not compare him to Trevor Kidd. If he never turns into anything in the NHL, he's still a wildly successful seventh-round draft pick because he's going to have one of the most accomplished Western Hockey League careers between the pipes that we've ever seen. Um, like, he's going to have historic level, you know, some of the best-ever WHL save percentage numbers that we've seen. So give the kid a tip of the hat. I think that there's plenty of potential there and plenty to, uh, plenty to believe that he will be able to turn into something pretty cool at the next level, whether that's the American League or the NHL. But for now... Just uh, let's give the guy a tip of the hat. He's uh, he is now the CHL's goaltender of the year. Yeah, and the the size thing is funny because we've seen a few smaller players drafted by the Flames that have started to to turn out a little bit more, and, and you're seeing that strategy working in other positions. Now let's see if it works at the the goaltender position. But I can understand Flames fans getting a, a little antsy about the goaltending position. The last three goalies they've played, ha- or the last three goalies they've drafted, have played a grand total of 12 games in the NHL, and that's because John Gillies has played 12 games in the NHL. So you can see why just anything that there is to grab onto, they are grabbing onto. But as you said, even if this kid does literally nothing in the nhl then he'll just be a standard seventh round pick from the nhl draft you're not expecting not banking a whole lot on your seventh round picks but if you can turn this one into a productive nhler the same way uh andrew mangipani a late round pick has turned into a productive nhler then you're setting up pretty well for yourself at the uh, the goaltender position so yeah no uh, it's, it's been a great ride for dustin wolf for sure the last little bit a couple of texts come in uh the the one about trevor kid um he uh, he rebutted to my comments as Pat. Uh, I meant more of an exceptional junior player and that not living up to expectations, which is fair enough. Although, it, and and this is definitely the generational gap of goaltending. But you go take a look at Trevor Kidd's junior numbers. He was an eleventh overall pick, and his junior numbers in his three years in Brandon and Spokane: eight seventy four, eight ninety one, eight ninety four save percentage, and that got him drafted 11th overall it just shows you how much goaltending has evolved like in the 1980s junior hockey nhl like if you could be at 900 in the 1980s you were a high-end elite goaltender uh like the position has changed dramatically the equipment has changed dramatically the way you know the coaching has changed dramatically but like we're talking about dustin wolf who's going to finish his western league career at like a 930 or higher career save percentage that is bonkers. That doesn't happen in junior hockey. So, uh, right. But I, I, I do understand the point that was being made there. Um, somebody goes, anyone else ever won two or three awards like this in the same season? Uh, I don't know about kind of the, the trifecta, including the USA Hockey Award, but I can tell you the list of um, WHL guys or, or guys that um, have uh... – so let's see here. Guys who have won it before um... – from the Western League, Cam Ward, uh, Carter Hart, Kerry Price. There's there's some of the uh, the names that have won it before um, in the Western Hockey League uh, that have gone on to have some really high end careers in the NHL. Um, somebody goes, uh, Trevor Kid, thanks for engaging my PTSD. Um, somebody goes, What are you talking about? Brent Cron was a first round pick, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. First ballot Hall of Fame human, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. First ballot Hall of Fame pictures taken as a member of the Texas Stars, 100%. That's yes. probably about it. So play out one more time, Logan. 
I love that clip. Um, <laughs> Pat, how old is Wolf, and when would he be eligible for his first year pro? Well, he's eligible to go pro any time. He could be in NHL or next year if they wanted him to be. They won't. Uh, next year, unless he's in the NHL, which he, he won't be unless there's serious emergency circumstances, uh, he would be eligible for the American League, not this season, but next season. So the 2021 season for Dustin Wolf will be a big one because World Juniors, uh, he went to the World Juniors and got one game in, I believe, with Team USA last year. Um, this year, he'll be the number one guy. This year, he will be yeah. the guy that the Team USA is counting on to carry the bulk of their games. So certainly an important year coming up in that respect for Dustin Wolf. Um, and this is, a, this is a fair question. Was Kid really that much of a bust if it wasn't for Brodeur being picked after him? Kid still leaps and bounds better than some of the other Flames, other first-round goalie busts, had a half-decent career. Yeah, Trevor Kid was fine. I think what will always dog him and will always dog Flames fans is the fact that, what, nine picks later, the, the Devils chose Martin Brodeur. Uh, Kid went 11 and Brodeur went 20. It's like... Okay, yeah, that that one stings a little bit when you chose the first goalie and the second goalie was Marty Brodeur. Um, I, I, I can understand that one. Other goalies that went later on in that, Felix Potvin went in that draft after Trevor Kidd had himself a pretty good career. Um, but Kidd had a decent career. Like, he was... Um, yeah, ended up a fine uh, goalie. Yeah, like, he, he was never incredible, but he ended up playing just under 400 NHL games and spent four seasons with the Calgary Flames. Was never was never the guy that people expected when you go number 11 overall, but had himself a decent right. career anyway. Uh, so that's yeah. uh, tip of the hat to uh, Dustin Wolf, who is your 2019-20 Canadian Hockey League goaltender of the year. Uh, other prospect news, we'll get into this a little bit more with Ryan Pike coming up in our next segment, but Jacob Pelche is on the move, Calgary's last first-round pick. Went in the same draft as Wolf in 2019. Uh, Pelche traded from Moncton to Valdor in the QMJHL over the weekend as well. So that was interesting to watch. Wanted to um, wanted to dive into this topic because we we were talking earlier this segment actually about how bad you feel for Western Hockey League or CHL kids who were unable to finish their seasons and and you know for 20 year olds. That, that might be their, their last high-level game. Maybe it's not. A lot of them will go on to uh, pro careers in Europe or the American League or the NHL, or, or maybe they'll go down the U-sports route. I feel awful for some of the players who all of a sudden had their U-sports 2020-21 season wiped out. Uh, for instance, football, among a number of other sports, will not be played the fall slate of sports in canadian college sports will not be played because of the pandemic and and you know i think that the most significant of that from a news standpoint but i feel bad equally for all of the the collegiate athletes who won't be able to play i really do like it's just an, another cut kick in the gut if that's your senior season and, and you're looking at starting your career after you're done yes your eligibility remains but you know from a life perspective you might not be back so i mean it, i just feel awful right. for them um but yeah, the, the new the biggest news item is that the vanier cup will not be played um the the, the entire u sports canada west 
West and, and so on and so forth. Football season's been wiped out among uh, a number of other sports. Hockey won't be able to start until January 1st at the earliest. Um, hockey's one of those two-semester sports that spans both semesters, and, and so that won't be able to start until January. So that's going to be a significantly shortened schedule in, in university hockey. It's, uh, it's, it's really too bad, and, and it got me thinking over the weekend, you know, the NBA is already coming back. The NHL will be coming back. Major League Baseball will be coming back, despite that that continues to be embroiled. You, you give me the eh sign on Instagram Live, <laughs> but, I mean, they're going to come back. It's, they right. might force the players back, and there might be grievances filed, but they're going to play this year in some form or another. The NFL will be back. I, I still think there's a decent chance the CFL will play games this year. Not an incredible chance, but a decent chance. But what this pandemic is doing is absolutely ravaging the middle because your your small level sports municipally will be fine minor hockey and high school football and all that type of stuff they're they're not unaffected but they will continue and they'll be fine in the long run and the high level professional sports the highest of the 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 cream of the crop the nhl the nba the nfl major league soccer whatever you want to point to those leagues will all be fine because they've got the financial wherewithal and the business to be able to do so so you've got your kind of on the one end of the spectrum the, the smaller municipal small level sports that, that don't have to travel and and don't have to worry about different health regulations and all of what goes into the risks of traveling with large amounts of people and the pro sports because of their big budgets and and financial might will be fine but it's things like canadian college sports and the chl and minor league baseball and minor pro sports like the american league and I guess minor league baseball would fall into that same category. Those are the sports that are getting absolutely hammered by this thing because they're not big enough to have the financial wherewithal of the highest levels pro sports. They're not billion-dollar business or even $100 million businesses, but they're also bigger than these these municipal-level sports and, and the minor-level sports where they're crossing provincial and state borders and, and country borders, and there's enough of uh, a logistical rigmarole to go through that they they are going to have a hard time sustaining themselves if they've got to be playing without fans or not able to play for a long period of time. That That's the biggest worry for me. High-level pro sports will be fine. Grassroots pro sports, I believe, will be fine when it's all said and done. I worry about the health of the middle when it's all said and done and how that bounces back. That's what worries the, me the most about sports during this thing. Yeah, it's it's very concerning, especially when you're talking about U sports where, I mean, they they I can't imagine they have a huge nest egg where it's, oh, I'll just take a year off, we'll be fine. Like, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. So I, I do think, like, minor league baseball is going to, I believe, look completely different than what it is right now and that's going to mean the end of the the career and the end of the dream for a lot of people 
Um, we'll, we'll see what that means. Like, will there be an influx of baseball players and maybe even hockey players who were going to go the U sport route and maybe decide to, to bail and head out to Europe a little earlier, who knows? But I, I wonder where some of this now disperses to, cause I, I don't think it'll be in North America, but no, you're right. Like it's, it's going to be tough. And with the, the CHL, maybe there could be a, a partnership deal with the NHL or something along those lines. Uh, the U sports wouldn't, the CFL is looking for their own grants right now. So CFL, I, I don't know if they're yeah, in a I don't think the CFL's got, hand got, right now. got money to float U sports. I really no, don't. No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't, I, I think quite the opposite actually. So um, U sports, especially it's very, very tricky. And then you, you look at, at other things where there's a bit of a domino effect. There's a lot of talk about what college football in the States is going to look like this year. Now, I, I do think there'll be some form of it this year, in part because well, and and I mean, college fairness, football in the states is back crap crazy. It, well, and and college football in the states is is also um, you, you put them in the same category as the NFL or or Major League Baseball. Right. Like their financial might is insane. Like that is such a yes. massive business that they'll be able to f- be fine, and and they, they'll they'll survive, no doubt about it. Yes, but the. Funds that those schools get from 100,000 people coming to watch football games a few times a year does disperse to a number of other sports and another a number of that is very true. That's very true. Yeah, within the school too, right? So uh, I yes, no, I'm I'm not overly. Con- I think the University of Texas will be able to manage this one. I, yeah, probably I think Ohio State will be okay. Perspective. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to have to rent out the, the big house um, out in Michigan on, on Airbnb to, to get a few extra bucks. I think they'll be okay, but what does it mean for other non-traditional sports along the way, and what does it mean yeah, for like those schools in Yeah, like track programs I think... or, or lacrosse exactly. programs or, or ones that don't bring in the massive funds. Yes, yeah, exactly. And like at the University, I, I the University the of Texas – like you, you threw out U of T. Like you, you threw out Texas as an example. Well, Texas is is funded by two programs. Like their 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 revenue comes from their Div One football team and their Div One basketball team, and yeah. the, the, they bring in billions to that school, and that gives them an annual nest egg for all of their other high level varsity sports and and allows every other uh sport to to be able to have full ride scholarships and and be funded with world-class training and that's the case at ohio state and michigan and notre dame and and usc ucla like you could throw out any number of different schools those div one football and basketball teams do so much financial legwork that they they really fund the entire uh program on an annual basis that's that's a really interesting uh that's a really interesting point you bring up yeah and i I just i I do worry about those and someone points out on the text line uh prairie junior football gets a lot of their money from cfl game day and different 50 50 things and stuff like that that yeah, there's a perfect a example of, of somewhere in the middle. Prairie Junior Football yeah. is not a localized. It's not in one city. Right. Like Calgary Minor Hockey and Calgary High School Football, even if even if this season is affected a little bit, which it may or may not be, like you, you don't have to squint. You know that there will be high school football again in Calgary. You know that Calgary Minor Hockey will be able to survive this because 
we're not talking about a big enough organization where they're traveling and and having to uh, as as we talked about cross provincial borders like you can you can be localized in your city where only your city's regulations matter and and while right. I'm not saying that they're healthy and and fine like they're everybody's got their challenges right now I just I believe that Calgary Minor Hockey and the associations will be fine in the long run or have a much better chance of being fine in the long run but yeah somebody points out the Alberta Junior Hockey League or, or points about yep. uh, junior lacrosse and Prairie Junior football like these are the ones that I'm really worried about and I like we, we've talked about the CFL and and whether or not they're going to receive funding from the federal government and I, I believe there's a conversation to be had about that but if if the federal government is going to be handing out loans or subsidy or financial help it's it's those leagues that I think really end up needing it more and they you know, like Prairie Junior Football doesn't need $20 million to stay afloat. You know, it, it might right. only need uh, an infusion of, of X amount of dollars. It's a whole lot less than we're talking about for other leagues. It's just, I worry about it. I do. And and, and I hope mm-hmm. that I hope that there is enough support when we start to really come out of this thing. And it looks like we are. But as we start to come out of this thing and as we start to put it behind us, I, I hope that there is whether it's corporate support or fundraising or whatever the case may be, I hope that there's enough, because so many of these places give athletes another place to play. You know, Prairie Junior Football, maybe a guy doesn't have the opportunity to make it in the CFL, but wants to keep playing after he's finished high school. Well, there's an opportunity for you to, to move on and do that. And, and, and so I, I just hope that those avenues remain after this i don't know how like personally i don't know what i can do to make sure that that happens but i think at the very least us talking about it and underlining the fact that you know covid19 could have yeah we talk about how much the nhl is losing and and how much this is hammering uh their pocketbook and and their revenue the nhl will be fine the nhl has enough money they, they they will not fold. The NHL will be 100% okay. But will the American Hockey League? Will the Western Hockey League? Like will, will the ECHL? Like these are the these are the areas, and and it trickles down from there. These are the areas that I'm really worried about. So I hope that at the very least, by talking about it, it can, it can bring the the awareness that there's a lot of leagues here that that could be in a lot of trouble if restrictions don't allow them to get back and and have somewhat normal operations in the somewhat near future yeah and when we talk about support when everything gets back to normal there are a lot of businesses that probably aren't going to be providing a lot of that support for a while because they haven't been generating the same revenue and then the same goes for individual households like if there were people who had season tickets to the the calgary canucks Maybe that's, I hope not, but maybe that is an expense that they just can't afford for a while. Like there's, there are a lot of ripple effects that really spread out on this thing. And there are a few where I don't think like, even if everything was running normally, they were probably in a little bit of trouble. So to take this kind of hit, the, the, I hope it's not the case, but there is an opportunity where the, the sports landscape looks a lot different coming out of this thing than it did coming in. And yeah, hopefully I we're hope able to provide doesn't. a bit of support. No, I like, hope it doesn't. I, I hope, yeah. Like, I feel like 
varsity college sports in this country is is worthy of getting an infusion from the federal government. Doesn't matter what party oh. is leading our federal government. I I think that you know if if whoever it is at at the time when this would happen. If they were to say, yeah, we're, we're going to give an infusion or, or it doesn't even have to be a loan. We're just going to, to help out varsity sports or, or not even varsity sports, but some of the intramural, intramural programs. If they were to say, yeah, we're going to help out youth sports here, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it whatsoever because they, they right. might need it to, to be able like, – this is not a hugely profit. This ain't the NCAA, right? So they, no. they might need something like that. Or if the Alberta government – and, and the B.C. government were to help Prairie Junior Football, or the Saskatchewan government were to help Prairie Junior Football, I wouldn't have a problem with that because as, as Kelly tags in, as a high school football coach, many of the players who do not have the grades to get into CS, CIS programs or youth sports programs use junior football as a stepping stone to continue playing, get their grades up, and a lot of them have either turned it into youth sports or, or CFL careers, and, and that's that's very fair. And, and, um, and as somebody else points out, yeah, the major four are losing billions or, or stand to lose billions but think of the billions they've made over the past century that's why they'll be fine whereas some of these smaller in the middle groups there's a whole lot more worry there so i hope that that's not the case i think it's important to talk about it to bring some awareness to it to say that there's there's going to be some leagues here and and some entities fighting for their lives and and if there's at least awareness to it out there that can help maybe uh some support to make it so the worst case scenario doesn't come to pass Totally. And we're seeing a couple examples of how these organizations can help. I mean, Derek Ryan has been brought up for forever as an example of a guy who just like kept plucking away and it ended up working out for him. And we just saw with the Anaheim Ducks signing Cody Curran, who was a defenseman for the Calgary Canucks when I was there. Um, he goes AJHL to U Sport to Switzerland, I think, and then sweet like just all over. And eventually that NHL goal is realized like there, there are some real success stories coming out of this. And you just hope that people aren't denied this opportunity because mm-hmm. of, of this pandemic. Fingers crossed, my friend. Fingers crossed. Yep. We will talk about uh, more um, light and positive news around the corner. We've got uh, NHL and uh, Calgary Flames prospects news and updates for you with Ryan Pike of Flames Nation coming up next on Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Monday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Two guys in different spots staying at home but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. It's time for our weekly chat with Ryan Pike from FlamesNation.ca. All things Flames with Mr. Pike. And some significant Flames prospect news over the weekend. Let's start with the most recent, and that is today's news, that Everett Silvertips goaltender and 2019 seventh-round pick Everett, uh, Dustin Wolf, rather, is the CHL goaltender of the year. Not a massive surprise, Pike, knowing how good this guy was last season, but it's just another honor in what has been a, a real nice run here for Dustin. Yeah, and he's, you know, you got to remind yourself, like, he, he's basically on ice for a month of the season. I mean, he, he got to go to the World Juniors, but, you know, he missed the better part of uh, December and January because he was at the World Juniors, and before that he was at the World Junior Camp to make the team, and then he didn't really play a lot at the World Juniors. He only had, uh, I believe, one start against Germany, uh, and uh, he ended up winning that start, but uh, he led either outright or in a share of it, uh, pretty much every major statistical category in the Western League. And he was, I believe there was maybe one player who uh, had more wins than him in the, uh, I'm just looking here. 
Yeah, there was uh, Alexis Shank from Shakutami had more wins than him, but he played five more games. So wins per, you know, games per win or wins per game was, uh, you know, much different. Uh, and if you control for games played, the only guys who were more productive in terms of wins were uh, Samuel Hlavik of Sherbrooke, who's a, a draft eligible player this year, and uh, Olivier Rodrigue of Moncton, who's an Oilers prospect. Uh, but both those guys, you know, they played on teams that scored a bit more. So uh, Dustin Wolf, everything you can control in terms of getting in the way of pucks, nobody in, in junior hockey in North America is better than him. So not exactly a surprise, but a nice feather in his cap. He's, uh, you know, you got to remember a year ago, Dustin Wolf was, uh, you know, the fourth and last guy picked in the in the NHL entry draft. And then he didn't let it get down. It seemed like it lit a fire under him because he came into last season with already very good numbers and he managed to somehow do better than he did the year before, despite the fact that he was very, very good to begin with. So, you know, a nice bit of work for Mr. Wolf in terms of getting himself a little bit closer to the NHL. Yeah. CHL goalie of the year follows after uh, what has been a pretty solid last month or so. He signed his entry level deal. He was named USA hockey goalie of the year, goalie of the year, Western league goalie of the year, and now the CHL goalie of the year. It's been a nice run for him. We don't know what next season is going to look like for anybody in junior hockey, but assuming it looks close to normal for the 2021 year, it's a big year for Dustin Wolf. You mentioned his World Junior appearance last year. Well, he'll be the guy counted on this year. It's his final. It's probably his final year of junior hockey coming up. Like, this is a this is a pretty interesting and and pretty significant 2021 season for Wolf. Yeah, and, and our our mutual friend uh, Wes Gilbertson of uh, Post Media did a piece with Wolf uh, about a month ago when he when he signed. And I believe uh, one of the things they discussed was just the idea of. Wolf is six shutouts away from tying the Western Hockey League all-time record for shutouts. Uh, it's held by his uh, his old uh, his old buddy Carter Hart, uh, who uh, made you know he had 26 shutouts during his tenure with the Everett Silver Tips. Uh, Wolf is six away from tying and seven away from the outright lead. And depending on what shape or form the the that, you know the 2020-2021 season takes, he's going to have a pretty good chance at uh, making a run at the record. So uh, you know, fingers crossed for for him that. Uh, and for everyone else in the Western League and in all junior hockey, that next season sort of takes the shape of close to a regular season because, you know, if it does, you know, Wolf could make some history. You, you put out the news on Twitter that he's won goalie of the year and, and inevitably and almost immediately it's like, geez, I hope he breaks the Flames goaltender, drafted goaltender curse. And you understand that from a Flames standpoint, they have not had the greatest luck drafting goaltenders, you know, Tyler Parsons looked like he was going to be a, a blue chip prospect and, and he might still turn into something we don't know, but that's, that's been uh, a struggle for him on the ice since uh, he made the jump to pro and Mason McDonald didn't work out. And we know about uh, Leland Irving and Trevor kid and, and Brent Cron. It just goes on and on and on. It has not been a pretty position for this team to draft in the last number of decades. You, you can understand why there's a little bit of consternation. Hey, yeah, and you know, and you know, when we when we get closer to to the draft in the, in the fall, we'll sort of discuss this a bit more. But you know, I, I this year there's a guy who's going to go in the top ten by the name of uh, Yaro uh, Askarov, who's a Russian goalie. He's uh, supposed to be probably the best drafted goalie prospect of the last fifteen twenty years. I've, the phrasing from the scouting community is the best draft eligible goalie since Carey Price. But you know. 
if you're a Flames fan, you might go, oh, man, on one hand, if he's available, you know, in the Flames draft, that'd be really cool. On the other hand, my goodness, that's terrifying because the Flames seem to be cursed when it comes to be drafting goaltenders early. Like, weird things go wrong. I mean, you know, Irving peaked early and didn't really couldn't really translate to the pros. You know, Brent Cron had some, had some injury stuff. You know, uh, you know, more recently, like, you know, John Gillies came out of the NCAA. Everyone's, you know, salivating and how good he could be. But, you know, he just couldn't, you know, he had some hip problems and then he just hasn't been able to turn the corner. So, yeah, honestly, you know, there's no guarantees in life and there's no guarantees in hockey. But uh, generally speaking, being very good at the junior level is a gives you a better chance of being a good pro. But as we've seen with the Flames over the last, what, 30 years, there's no guarantees. No, definitely not, especially at that uh, at that position. Um one other piece of fairly significant Flames prospect news over the weekend was uh, Dustin Wolf was a 2019 seventh round pick, their first round pick from last year's draft. Jacob Pelche of the Moncton Wildcats is no longer a Moncton Wildcat. He's been traded to Valdor in the queue. Tell us the uh, significance of Jacob Pelche being on the move. It, it is. It is kind of interesting because you know he's. You know, he's going to be heading into his 19-year-old season. He's not an overager next year. He, he's going to be going back unless he makes the Flames. Uh, he might make the Flames. He's very good. But, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's so good at so many things. He's the, the reigning Quebec League uh, sportsman-like player of the year. Uh, he, you know, scores a lot of points. He plays a lot against very good players. Uh, and, you know, the, the trade that uh, Val D'Or made – it's pretty hefty. I mean, they traded, you know, a, you know, a first, a second, a fifth, another first, uh, you know, a pretty good uh, young young prospect. And I believe his name is Mathis Cloutier, who is a, a 2003-born player. Uh, so, it, the you know, Valdor, they're loading up, it seems, because, you know, I, I don't know enough about the Quebec League to tell you if, uh, you know, who's going to make a run or who's not. But, you know, in during the course of the, the draft weekend, I mean, they, they went out and they got Pelche. They went out and they got uh, Tampa prospect uh, Maxim uh, Kashkovic. So they're, they're, they added some big pieces. So it's a question of, you know, whether or not everything can gel. I mean, is junior hockey sometimes, you know, teams just figure out ways to, to do it. But, you know, it's a it's a big swing by, by Val D'Or because, you know, they, they were a sub-500 team this year. They haven't really been, you know – a, a big header the last few years and maybe now they're going yeah you know next year could be kind of a you know kind of a free-for-all so it seems like they're trying to put their stamp on and trying to you know make a claim for uh, potentially making a nice run well and, and much like wolf uh who had limited work at the world juniors this past year pelche due to an injury wasn't even able to um play and, and we don't know whether or not he would have made the team as an 18 year old but he might have this year as a 19 year old he'll have a much better chance of representing canada at the world juniors he's he's worn the red and white before so much like for wolf the the upcoming season for pelche is a pretty important one too yeah and Honestly, I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. I've always sort of blue-skied it on Twitter. But, you know, the, the Flames the last two years have, between the cap and between just wanting to get some youth in their lap, have shown a willingness to let guys make the team if they make the team. So, you know, we've, you know just under Brad Living, we've seen, you know, the 18-year-old Sam Bennett made the team. Granted, then he had the a shoulder thing, but he played good enough in that camp to break camp with the team, and then he had, underwent a surgery you know, the year before that, there was Sean Monahan. You know, they've had uh, you know, Yusuf Alamaki break camp. They've had you know a lot of 
you know, Matthew Kachuk. They've had a ton of, you know, guys in that 18, 19, 20-year-old age group break camp with the team. And Pelche, you know, he'll be a guy making, you know, I believe he's making rookie max next year if he makes the NHL. So that's 925K. And, you know, he could, if he's worthwhile, he could be a pretty good fit with, for instance, Michael Backlund. Michael Backlund's made a career out of mentoring young guys. I mean, you know, he's brought along so many young, smart, fast two-way players alongside him over the last few years that, you know, as much as I think it's it's a kind of a savvy move by Valdor pushing all their chips to the table and saying, we want to get this guy because he's really good, back in my head I'm going, but what if he's in the NHL? Because I wouldn't rule it out. Mm. He, they, they definitely, they definitely like not only him as a prospect, but they, they certainly like the competitiveness and, and some of the intangible stuff that that uh, could help you make an NHL roster next year. That's really interesting to watch in uh, Jacob Pelche's 19-year-old season. And then again, we don't know when the the, the queue says they're going to start in early October, and if that comes to pass and the NHL doesn't start until January, he might be in both leagues next year. Who knows how that's going to look, and that's a completely different story for another day. We're in conversation with Ryan Pike of FlamesNation.ca. He joins us every Monday on the program, Mr. Klein. Uh, you guys are just making the case for Pelche potentially be with the Flames next season. Uh, what about this season? Um, the, the, there's still a, a season to be had with the, the postseason wrapping up. There could be some uh, extra player. Well, there will be some extra players being allowed to the roster. Would you give some thought to Pelche on the team with, I guess, the logic being, look, if we have to roll five deep with, 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 excuse me, with replacements, we're probably screwed anyway? Yeah. I, honestly, the easy answer is yeah. I mean – uh, you know, he and Yusuf Alamaki are both in sort of a unique situation. Alamaki's is a bit weird because of, of the injury and because of the expansion draft implications. But, you know, for, for fans who, you know, vaguely recall the back of their mind, Sam Bennett situation, here's the gist of it. Uh, you know, Pelche is under contract. His contract slides unless he plays 10 games. So he can come to camp, He you know, and he can be one of the, the extra players on the Flames presuming – 30-man roster so he could be one of the five extra guys and just hang out and you know practice with the team and soak it up and they could use him up to nine times without counting a year against his contract so there and also let's be honest you know just make it explicit the season's over so there's no cap right now so you know they could bring in the most expensive guys and they could bring in the cheapest guys and it'd make absolutely no difference in the cap this year or next year so there's really no downside to bringing him in and giving him a chance to soak it in. And I think the the big question would be, do you think potentially he could help you more than someone, you know, down the rotation in Stockton? I mean, Stockton had a pretty good year last year. They had uh, a lot of good players who helped out. I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, guys like Glenn Godden and Matthew Phillips will get the call. Uh, but, you know, at this point, most of the guys who are sort of in that tweener group, you know, those two gentlemen, Buddy Robinson, maybe Austin Zarnick, it's very heavy on right shot forwards. So maybe you want to bring in a lefty like uh, Pelche partially just to balance things out, but also because he's a completely t- different type of player than a lot of guys they have in the system. And since they're investing so much in him, why not give him a chance to uh, soak in some playoff hockey? 
Uh, just sticking with the the playoff roster, I was reading the the piece you have up on FlamesNation.ca about it right now. Looking at the the goaltending situation, because they're definitely going to need an extra. You don't want to just risk it rolling with two uh, going into a, a tournament like this. Um, where do you believe the the Flames would lead in goal or lean? Sorry, in goal with, with this whole thing starting up again. I, I'm I'm leaning John Gillies. I mean, I'll be completely blunt. I'm not a huge fan of John Gillies as a prospect. He's he's at the point now where he is, where he's probably going to be. And, you know, d- don't take my, my statement as any kind of, you know, admonishment of the player. I mean, he's developed himself into a damn fine AHO goalie. He's a reliable AHO goalie, but that's probably where he's going to be. Uh, he's a, a pending Group 6 free agent whenever the season ends. So he's probably in his last few weeks, months, days, whatever, with the Flames organization. But it, But – He's also the only player, you know, outside of the system who has any NHL experience in NHL games. So, you know, much I sort of, you know, think about uh, I'm going to steal your line. If they have to use Gillies, if they're, you know, three goalies deep in any way, they're probably screwed. So there's really no downside in using him or not using him. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Artem Zagadulin, first year in North America, had a pretty good season, made a lot of clutch saves, but. I think it'd probably be a little, I'd be wary about using him in the playoffs if only because he's so new and he's still so malleable that you might not want to have to throw him into the deep end. Uh, you know, if you look at how the, the flames have, you know, used some of their call-ups the last little while, I mean, you know, they brought up, uh, you know, Alexander Yellison for a little bit and didn't use him, but he was just up at the team. So, you know, he wouldn't be, you know, wide-eyed and sort of mouth agape if they actually needed to use him. And then, he came up a second time and they used him and he seemed to fit in really nicely, probably because he was used to the situation. Similarly, you know, the Flames brought up Glenn Godden for a little bit and didn't use him, but he practiced and they did the same thing with Matthew Phillips. So the fact that they haven't had a chance to do that with, uh, with Artem Zagadulin would be the reason why I'd probably lean towards using Gillies. I mean, you know, he's been a good soldier for them. It'd give him a chance to maybe make a case for work somewhere else. And it wouldn't, you know, from an asset management standpoint, it wouldn't potentially throw uh, poor Zagadulin to the wolves. Uh, if it was a regular year, I'd probably use Zagadulin uh, over Gillies. But because of the weirdness of the situation and because of, you know, how how absurd the whole thing is, you might as well go with the guy you know, right? And you say in the piece that that's kind of going to be the strategy the whole way. Like, if you're looking for a completely outside-of-the-box name, it's probably not going to be with this group. It's going to be names and players that we're a little bit more familiar with yeah yeah and, and let's be let's be honest like you know when this gets going in early august this is going to be a sprint and in a sprint you're probably going to use lines that you're used to pairings that you're used to call up guys that you're used to there's not going to be a lot of out, out of the box thinking partially because this isn't the type of circumstance to do that you're not really going to have you know, weeks and weeks and weeks and, you know, off days and such to really try things out. I mean, you know, to get them, to get all these games in in the time window they have, they'll probably be playing every other day. So there might not even be a lot of, you know, hardcore practices. It'll probably just be a lot of, you know, get a, you know, go for a skate, get the rust off from yesterday and then go have a nap kind of thing. So I think uh, probably across the board, they'll be going with the faces they know and the names they know simply because there won't be a lot of time logistically to figure things out otherwise. We're in conversation with Ryan Pike at FlamesNation.ca. He joins us Mondays on the program. Uh, phase two of the NHL's relaunch is officially underway. Ryan, 
I mean, um, in talking to the Flames today, they're they're undergoing some preparations right now, and they hope to be able to open up and officially start Phase 2 in Calgary a little bit later on this week. Not a lot of guys in the city. I think it's just... Giordano and Stone are the two guys that are still in Calgary. So it's it's not like there's going to be a massive amount of, of action. You saw the pick of the five Oilers at Rogers Place today. Um, but at the very least, uh, there, there could be some action at the Saddle Dome in the next little while here. Yeah, and to be honest, I was a little bit shocked that they found a picture of Chris Russell with him not laying out to block a shot. So it was nice to see him upright and doing well uh, coming out of the, out of the break. Oh, good! What a soldier! What a what a beauty that guy is! But yeah, honestly, at this point, the the Flames, the NHL players for the Flames, might be outnumbered in town by you know NHL players for other teams, uh, so they'll have to be accommodated too. But uh, you know, everything we're hearing sounds like you know guys are gonna take their time getting back in, especially you know they have a month, and depending on what the quarantine situation is from other municipalities and other countries, you know, there's still a lot of balls in the air. Uh, presumably later this month we'll get a better sense of timelines from the NHL and the NHLPA in terms of phase three, which would be, you know, getting everyone together for the camps. Uh, you know, we honestly don't even have definitive word one way or the other if it's going to be two-week or three-week camps. And, you know, for example, you know, when we had that conference call with Michael Backlund last week, he mentioned to us just the idea of, you know, when he when he comes back, he's probably not going to bring his dogs or his wife or his baby with him. So, you know, he's one of the many people who is probably going to leave things to the very last minute to, to come back. So but for those guys, getting a timeline in place is probably going to be easier for everybody. And then it'll allow, uh, you know, everybody to sort of get a sense of logistics and timelines because, you know, let's be honest right now, the flames probably won't have too much trouble figuring out logistics for, you know, Giordano and stone and maybe, you know, what a half dozen other guys from other teams sort of hang around town. But as we get closer and closer to the start of actual camp, you know, the number of bodies they might have to juggle will uh, will escalate a bit. So for everybody, getting a, an idea of what needs to happen when will make it uh, a little bit easier. Um, and finally, uh, I've got a piece coming out t- tomorrow on Flames Nation. Um, and and it, it it's about the ongoing gray area of the James Neal-Milan Lucic trade and Brad Living's been asked about it numerous times on his weekly conference calls. Flames don't know. Oilers don't know. The status of that remains in a very strange gray area right now. Um, but essentially, I just feel like a compensatory pick is the easiest way to solve this all. It doesn't penalize the Oilers. The Flames don't walk away empty-handed. NHL's done compensatory picks before. I don't know. It just seems like the easiest way to make this happen um, so that so that all sides don't feel like they're getting jobbed here. And, and you know, I, I don't know if the NHL is going to do I have no idea what the league is going to do, but it just seems like that's the easiest way to get around this whole thing. And I find the Flames, uh, they say, all right, uh, pet story fourth, and then see what they give you. I mean, this is an organization that, that this you know, the, the Flame scouts, I've, I've talked to the scouts, you've talked to the scouts, they feel good enough about their drafting and their scouting the last few years that at this point they might just want bullets. They don't really care too much when it is so you know they've they've made a lot of hay with sixth and seventh i'm pretty sure they wouldn't you know cry too much if uh, they were given a fifth or a sixth if they asked for a fourth so we'll see i mean it's an interesting situation because this is you know every other weird labor stoppage we've had has been a labor stoppage it's been you know 
someone's on strike, someone's, you know, locking someone else out. It's been anticipated. It's, in, you know, something that they could negotiate. And with this, there's so many moving pieces and so many things out of their control that I think, to be honest, they haven't really spent a lot of brain power, you know, hashing out things exactly. So I think as we get closer, you know, to having a sense of things, I mean, you know, in terms of what they need to figure out, they need to figure out the, the immediate things in terms of phase two and phase three and phase four and then, you know, all the logistics of the actual pod games, uh, you know, the, the draft won't be to what, October? October, maybe yeah, November? Yeah, that's probably so what that we're talking they, about. They probably need to figure this out by, I don't know, Labor Day? If they, if they don't have this figured out by Labor Day, I'll be, I think they'll, we'll be mad at them and so will the, all the teams, but, you know, they have, a, they have a fair bit of runway left, but compensatory picks make a lot of sense. It's just, yeah, you don't usually do them, but it's an unprecedented situation. So, yeah, if you got to do things a little bit differently than you, you you would usually do them, I think teams will be all right with it when it's all said and done. Good stuff, Mr. Pike. Uh, what else you got uh, coming up at Flames Nation in the next little bit here? Oh, a little of everything. We're continuing our look back at one game wonders. Uh, the players we spent one game with the Calgary Flames. Uh, an interesting one we looked at a couple of days ago was uh, a gentleman by the name of Rich Lemieux, who was uh, – He's a vague, he, he bounced around a bit. Uh, his uh, his rights bounce around in both the NHL and the WHA, and he's one of four players in the history of uh, both franchises to play for both the Atlanta Flames and the old Calgary Cowboys. So mm. kind of interesting, and we'll have a little bit of a look back on uh, the other three members of that overlap group because it's all kind of weird, man. Weird history is fun. Yeah, absolutely it is. Good stuff, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, buddy. All right, that is Ryan Pike at FlamesNation.ca on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Working hard to reopen soon for sit-down and drinks uh, and dining. Atlas Pizza still open for pickup or delivery by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. It's Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you. Time to get weird. Coming up next, a Monday edition of Wild Card Wednesday. Great way to kick off the week. Or not, depends on who you are and what question you get asked. That's next. It's Pender and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hopefully your Monday is going along nicely. It is time for today's edition of Wild Card Wednesday where we... Uh, find ourselves in the casino we ask questions from around the sporting world and around our twisted brains and uh, the three of us logan gordon peter klein and me pat steinberg we uh, answer and uh, we usually get into some very strange discussions that get our text line involved as well welcome back to the program final hour of pinder and steinberg today uh, at the top of the hour in conversation with ron McLean. before we get to five o'clock though we'll hear from elliot friedman our nhl insider the latest on the nhl's restart plans uh, that's coming your way before 5 o'clock. Run your AM dial, 960 AM online, sportsnet.ca slash 960. You can get us on the Radio Player Canada app on your mobile phone. Say, hey, Google, play Sportsnet 960 on your smart speaker at home. And uh, new and improved and back for another week on Instagram Live. Come on through at uh, Steinberg1984 if uh, you want to uh, watch part of the program. Uh, we stream the show on Instagram Live at Steinberg1984 every single day. The premise is simple on 
this Wild Card Wednesday, we got your five categories, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. Uh, we each take a spin, and then uh, we all ask and answer a question. Uh, it gets fun. It's a great way to pass the pandemic time. And Logan Gordon is our first spin. He is our leadoff man and has been for quite some time. Let's go, Logo. Let's see what you got. Pop culture. All right. Uh, Up the, the gate strong. Yeah, Let's do this, the funnest category of all time. But it's a good one. Uh, you can bring back one TV show, not movie or series, one TV show series uh, that's no longer on the air. What series are you bringing back? Hmm. WCW Nitro. No. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Now you have to. Now I'm not as deep into the wrestling as, as you guys, Klein. So explain. WCW was a predecessor to WWE, or a... no? They were, no, they were, they were compete, competing entities in the 1990s. Okay. Yeah. And then did they run alongside WWE, WWE programming? Again, what what they went was head like? To head. So Monday Nitro and Monday Night Raw went head to head with one another, um, and they had a massive ratings war for geez i want to say better part of a decade until the uh the whl uh whl the wwe eventually won uh western <laughs> hockey league was huge wow. huge recipient of the, the yeah. Monday Night really Wars. big history listen i messed out on holy yeah, somehow it had an impact on the western hockey league. um is 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 uh is monday nitro your actual answer no no it's not Oh, okay. As cause... much fun as I had with Monday Nitro. Um, no, I, I think my answer would probably be The Wire. Um, I, I think that one. I think that they would have with, with current um, political climate and also new technology and things of that nature. I think you can make some pretty badass, really riveting television with the the minds who came up with The Wire. So I'll, I'll go with The Wire. The Wire was a groundbreaking show and, and you're right about the technology because that was early 2000s when the wire was made um right. i believe the first like episode called, the first season was it's like called the wire. it's called the wire because they wiretap a payphone like it's <laughs> it, it's the technology is a little different so yeah no i i think it would be i think it would be a lot of fun to see that now 02 through 08 is when The Wire was on, and it's great. The acting is unbelievable. Yeah. Great ensemble cast. Now, nobody really from that, like, has gone on to huge success. Like, um, Bunk Moreland is on some shows now, and, and he's a you know, he's a fairly prolific television actor. The guy who played Bunk Moreland, uh, he was on yeah. Treme. He's on a show now. He's a really good actor. Suits. really enjoy his stuff. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, Rachel, Rachel Zane's dad on Suits. That's right. Um uh, Jimmy McNulty's on a show on Showtime, I think, whoever played him. Yeah, The um, Affair or something? Like yeah, I think that's what it's called, The Affair. So there's there's a few, like, a few of them have gone on to something else, but, I mean, it was largely an ensemble cast. You took mine because uh, The Wire is where I'd go because I think it would be so good now. Um, so I'm going to go with The Wire too, but I'll give you another one just for the sake of it because I never really felt like we got a – true good conclusion 
closure. Um, actually, somebody points out on Instagram Live, Michael B. Jordan. Yes, he's the most famous of the guys. That's, but he wasn't. Michael right. B. Jordan was not a main character on The Wire. He was more of a bit character, and he was way younger. Uh, but that's yeah. right. Michael B. Jordan, who would play um, Killmonger in Black Panther and, and – um, and Apollo Creed, and like he's he's uh, he has definitely been the most famous of the the wire. I forgot about Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, uh, but he's such a he was such a bit season. part. Shh, but he was such a bit <laughs> part of the show. Um, but it, the wire would be mine. But I, I we never got the true conclusion. I never got the full closure, and I never felt they went long enough on the OC. So I'm going to say the OC. That's they got to bring back the OC. If I can't go the wire, I'll go. Uh, I'll go the the OC. Like I just I feel like it would be interesting to do a a reunion show. See where Seth and Summer are. Let's see how brooding Ryan Atwood still is. Is uh, Julie Cooper still conniving? I, I want to see. I never felt like we got full closure on the OC. That's the way I'll I'll lean, Logan. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll give points for both of those, and I'm not surprised that the that Pat went with something like the OC. That's not not overly surprising to me. Uh, I have two. One of them is uh, Hannibal that was on NBC for a couple of years with Mads okay. Mikkelsen. Uh, I thought it was such a good version of the character, and we only got two seasons of it. Um, or two or three seasons. I can't remember which one it was now. But uh, that was the one show that I, I always felt needed to come back. I was a big Entourage guy, too, although I don't know if it would still resonate the same as it was today. And a Canadian one that um, I'm not sure how many people know about, but a series I used to love was the stupid... Kenny versus Spenny show that was on CBC for a yeah. couple of years. Uh, yeah. They were just morons to each other, and I thought it was hilarious TV. Uh, so I'd love to see like Netflix pick them back up for a season or something. Just I mean, they're probably 50 now, and it'd be so terrible. But uh, those would be my two choices. Apparently, that show ruined their friendship. Like apparently, they were like best friends, <laughs> and then uh, doing really? that show ruined their friendship, which watching the show religiously like i did you can understand why it would ruin their friendship uh, i also missed out just um rather uh, embarrassingly i totally forgot about stringer bell played by idris elba uh and idris elba also has turned into a pretty big star also like michael b jordan found himself in the marvel movies um obviously uh, luther is a great show if you've never seen that on on netflix idris elba is is probably even more famous than michael b jordan so uh two awful omissions for me idris elba and michael b jordan i was no, thinking on the michael b jordan's side, fine I was thinking on the cop side, though, because, I mean, Stringer Bell's in it for only a couple of seasons, too. Um, but I just, I was thinking about it from the police side of things. I forgot about the other characters on, on the, the other side. It was, that was a hell of a show. Um, and uh, and Avon Barksdale was played by the guy who played Julius in Remember the Titans, uh, which I always like, because Julius was like this oh, yeah. moral, uh, like in Remember the Titans, which I know him best for, he was like this this moral compass center, and he's like the main villain uh, in yeah. the first two seasons of The Wire. So that was, that was hard to wrap your head around. Good question, Logo. I like that one. So Kleiner goes The Wire. I go the OC because I couldn't take the wire. <laughs> and Logan goes Kenny's, Kenny versus Spenny and Hannibal on the text line. Entourage gets a shut up. I used to love I Entourage. Feel, I loved Entourage. I feel like it was probably done by the time it, it wrapped. And then we got the movie, which was nice. If you were an Entourage yeah. fan, the movie was a, a nice way to wrap it up. They could probably do another movie. Um yeah. Deadwood with a couple of uh, suggestions. Jericho, uh, WKRP Cincinnati gets one. Um, 
Firefly gets a couple. Uh, so there's a, a few of the um, few of the suggestions on the text line for that one. I like that one. Okay, I'm ready to go. Let's uh, take our next spin here. Sports. Uh, okay, here's a, a fun trip down memory lane. Give me a um, give me an event that you have attended or an event that you have covered, a sporting event where there's been like nobody in the building, where there's been no fans, um, where there's it's, it's basically you're just watching a practice or, or a rec game, like an event that you've covered or that you've attended where there's been nobody and don't give me like minor hockey games or your cousin's you know timbits hockey game i don't mean that i mean like you know an organized league sporting event something like that um mine would probably just the first one that comes to mind um doing calgary canucks games there were times where like i could hear myself echoing throughout the building um that they weren't the the best attended until the, the postseason um so that that would be the the first one for me that comes to mind um, which is any unfortunate. MMA, any, good any like those boxing events or the mixed martial arts events that you've done? Are they usually pretty well attended? Uh, the boxing ones they pack the place. So okay. at uh, at Deerfoot Inn Casino, they do a good job filling that place up. Uh, even when I was at the Genesis Center, they did pretty well. There was a couple of MMA shows I went to where there weren't a whole lot of people there. Um, and to be perfectly honest, when I lived in Toronto, there were a few Blue Jays games where that building felt empty. There were a few where it was me and 6,000 of my closest friends watching the, the Blue Jays play the Baltimore Orioles. So that one that, that one certainly works as well. Anything for you, Logo? I don't think I have one for this one. I, I really can't um, can't think Logo of anything. Logo only goes to big time sports. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. I only go to the most attended, hardest to get into uh, venue. I, yeah, I can't, I can't think of one immediately that, that comes to mind for at least an empty building or setting like that. I've got a few. Um, I remember there were games when I was a um, when I was um, an usher cannoneer at the Calgary Cannons. Uh, there were a few times when they had they did games on Wednesday afternoon at 12:05 they were usually uh, getaway games so because AAA ball essentially mimics a major league schedule they do the same thing with getaways and well they, they don't fly on charters so they, they need some of those early afternoon starts and there were a couple of those Wednesday 12:05 games at Burns Stadium or Foothill Stadium where there was literally less than 10 people in the stands and like we had full concession staff full ushers and here you are and like we're watching close to major league ball like the best you can get that isn't in the majors guys that are going to go on to have 10 year 15 year major league careers and there are 10 people watching them uh so that that, that is one and there were a few of those games uh, when I was doing play-by-play for the uh, now-defunct Calgary Vipers where, like, everybody in the dugout could have heard me doing the play-by-play because there was nobody there. Like, I'm way yeah. up in the press box doing the games, and there weren't, wasn't anybody there. It's, uh, it's too bad that never really worked out, but uh, there were some very, very empty buildings for that. Um, Calgary Canucks is a good one too. It's too bad because it's good hockey in the AJ. Uh, you wish they could yeah. get some more fans out for that. Um, but yeah, baseball are the two for me, and both in that stadium. 
Like you watch, it's it's still a travesty that there there were games that weren't being watched when the Calgary Cannons were playing, uh, because there were also games like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There were games when you couldn't get a seat, like standing room only, and it was packed to the rafters. And a sunny Sunday for a Cannons game was unbelievable. Canada Day Monday afternoon, if they did it, or they like, like it was awesome. But yeah, there were some games where there was literally less than ten people. Um, yeah. What do we have for some of the uh, suggestions on the text line? Uh, I went to some Mustang games, the team the Storm became, that played at McMahon. I swear there were 25 people. They lasted like seven games. That's right, the Calgary Mustangs soccer team. Uh, if Kirsch is listening, he'll remember we had a show like Inside the Mustangs uh, and uh, it hosted by Carrie Howe, Inside the Mustangs. It was like right when I first started in the early 2000s. Um, they, they, we had the soccer team that was not very well attended. Um, I attended a lingerie football game in Toronto in about 2011. There were maybe 300 people in the arena where the Marlies play, and most were friends of the players. It would have been so cringy if we weren't so drunk. <laughs> um, pretty much any Toronto Argonauts home game. Uh, somebody says I was at a Coyotes at home, Coyotes game at home versus Florida on a Tuesday in February. Could not have been 2,000 people. Uh, this reads a Flames game in the 90s in New Jersey. This is on Instagram Live. Snowstorm kept most fans away, delayed for a couple hours. By the time it went to air, Ed Whalen was half cut because he and the color guy were in the lounge. I remember <laughs> that. Peter, Mar- I believe it was the 80s, actually. Peter Marr tells that story. I believe it is still like the least attended regular season game that has gone forward in NHL history because of a snowstorm. And players got there late, and nobody could get to the game. I think there was like 300 people watched an NHL game that night. Peter Marr always used to tell that story on this date in Flames history. Uh, one of my favorite. Can you, just, can you imagine doing a game in in a NHL arena with 300 people there? It just doesn't compute. So Yeah, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really ones. work. All right, Klein, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do this. Personal Life. Okay. Have a cringy Klein. Um, Let's do this. <laughs> this one's probably been asked before, um, but what's something about high school you that we didn't know about? Oh. Whew. Well, I mean, I think I've told the story many times that I would come home and do a radio show, um, five thirty on the dot every day after high school, and by radio show I mean recorded into a uh, little. Re- like boombox thing with a condenser mic that I got from London Drugs. So, but I, other than that, what's one thing that I? Okay, here's 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 one that's rather embarrassing. Um, I don't do well with. Uh, well, I like here's here's one that's really embarrassing, but I don't think it'll surprise a lot of people. Went on a grand total of zero dates in high school, um, mm. but that doesn't surprise a lot of people because of the the radio show. Um, that I just told you about, but here's here's one. <laughs> I don't do well even now with horror movies. Like I just can't, especially horror movies that involve like exorcisms or possession. Like I, just, I can't do it. it. It freaks me out. I have trouble sleeping. But this was this was uh, around Halloween in grade ten or eleven. I don't remember if it was grade ten or grade eleven. But it was around Halloween, and there was a. Uh, Saturday Night Live Halloween special and 
they did a skit based on it was like from 1970 um because it would have been timely at the time it was a skit based on the movie the exorcist which i still to this date have never seen i refuse to see i do not want to see even like gifts of the the exorcist freak me out um but the um the the saturday night live skit freaked me out so bad that I could not sleep properly for probably three to four months. It, it freaked me out that bad. I wow. had trouble going to sleep for that long. Um, so that uh, that messed with, whether it was grade 10 or grade 11, it messed with me quite a bit because I was always tired at school because I was always working on, like, two or three hours of sleep. Uh, so that's one. And the other, I missed almost all of my final semester of high school because i got sick i still don't know what exactly i got but i got some sort of stomach bug um where i i just it was a bug where i couldn't keep anything down and i always was in pain and i always was on the verge of exhaustion like so my, my doctor couldn't figure it out they didn't know whether it was like mono or something else more serious or whatever the case may but i missed i want to say from february almost until mid-april i didn't go to school uh and i lost about i was about 160 pounds i came back at about 125 uh like i was gaunt uh and my high school graduation picture like, i don't know how my head stays on my neck my neck was so skinny um so yeah that's uh, i missed like the the final three months of of high school that would be that just came to wow. me while i was telling the uh the saturday night live exorcist story this is a, this is a tough one i'm not exactly sure which one i want to go with for this um i don't know if anybody else did this or not but uh, by my a grade 12 year, uh, I realized that if you were going to skip school or something like that, that they were going to they start doing the phone calls to whatever home number to, to say so-and-so wasn't attending school or wasn't there for this attendance thing. Um, I just started telling my mom ahead of time that I wasn't going into school that day so that uh, it wasn't any surprise to my parents when the phone call came in. Uh, so I just, <laughs> just started... Uh, Whenever, whatever it was, I would just not go in that day, and I figured instead of waiting for the phone call to come in, I would uh, just send it ahead of time and not really hear anything about it uh, later on. And the only other thing I could think of was I played rugby in my grade 12 year. Um, I had a couple of bad injuries, but the only one that, that was really bad was we played a preseason game against St. Francis, and the next day I was supposed to go on vacation with my parents and so everyone was like oh don't get hurt or anything you're going on holidays the next day uh and i wound up smashing skulls with another guy on uh saint francis there and i wound up having to go to the hospital for a concussion the day before we went on holiday uh and i found out the next day that uh, you shouldn't go on an airplane ride if you have a bad concussion Ooh. and uh, i also learned that uh, the guy that i hit or uh, the other guy that meant my skull i guess uh spent the weekend in the hospital on conscience for two days uh so yeah Jesus. that was uh, a little bit frightening and uh yeah don't go on airplane rides if you have a concussion that one really sucks Kleiner, what yeah, about no you kidding. tell us tell us a little bit more about young peter klein and high school you have a ponytail in a saskatchewan 
Uh, I didn't have a ponytail logo, no. Um, the, the green spiky hair was uh, in elementary school for us. Okay. Um, for, for high school me, um, I guess uh, the, the one thing, because I mean, there's obviously a, a few things, but the, the one that would be the, the most uh, what moment would be uh, I was in our high school play in grade 12. Um, it, it was the... What was um, the play? It was... It was our rendition of High School Musical. Um, so I was in, I was in please, High School please Musical. Please tell me you were the lead. Were you Zach Efron? You were the lead for sure. No. I, um, I found out after I was the, uh, the, the runner-up for the, uh, the Zac Efron character, oh, but I didn't really have You're my Zac Efron. I didn't really have a oh, similar build. Um, I, I didn't have the vocal range that they wanted for, for the uh, Did you the sing in, in this? Musical. Like you sang um, and did chore uh, choreography? <laughs> I didn't do karaoke. Uh, yes, I did do uh, choreography. Um, I, I ended up being like just someone who bounced around in a few different uh, a few different spots. I was a teacher in one. Uh, obviously, I was a member of the basketball team in another. And then because of that, at the end, uh, it was me and my buddy Brett were in the back and we were on these risers. And yeah, we had to do like this whole karaoke thing or not karaoke thing, choreography thing. And then um, there was one part where you just I have like to like high school. This is so fun. Right, exactly. Uh, there was one part at the end <laughs> where, like, they're just like freestyle and just do whatever you want. So he and I would do like robot fighting and stuff like that in the background every night. So yeah, that's uh, that's probably the one that would catch most people off guard was that my big awkward ass was in High School Musical uh, in grade twelve. Drama major client. How many people came out to watch? The. Drama plays in our town actually do really, really well. Like, the gym was packed all three nights. So it's Woo. actually, like, yeah, a lot of people come to watch them. I don't know why, but uh, a lot of people came to watch them. They definitely wouldn't have seen your hair as long as it was during pandemic, or they would have for sure given you the Zac Efron role. Because <laughs> your hair recently sure. was perfect for that role. Right. Oh, totally. 100% it would have been. Yeah. Uh, what do we have on the text line here at uh, 960-960? Uh, Pat, did you tell your doctor about the fact you didn't go on any dates? Did he then rule out mono? Uh, <laughs> fair, fair question. Wow. <laughs> fair question. Uh, what else we got here? Solidarity, Pat. I, I skipped a lot of high school parties to watch a Japanese Iron Chef with my mom in the 2000s. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Um. Here's a here's a, a big fan of mine. Uh, Steinberg, ask your colleagues if you're the biggest loser they've ever met. You have to be. I don't know. I, I cover the NHL for a living and uh, could. Uh, I, I feel like I'm doing all right now, so I don't know. Um, I feel like I'm doing okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, you seem like a winner and we should hang out. Um, that's too funny. Klein has to find pics of that. It's true. Like, I've got to see. You've got to have something with you as uh, as – high school musical Klein. Yeah. The, the one that my parents have that's more predominantly featured is uh, grade eight. I was also in drama and it was like this <laughs> toy uh, store thing. And I was a giant toy dragon. So I like the full green dragon get up with a giant ass tail, uh, green face paint on. So that's the one that they have uh, up on the, the fridge still at home. I want to see that so bad. Please get them <laughs> to send a picture of that. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what I can do. I don't think you're going to put – you're not going to light a fire under that for sure, are you? Uh, no. The, the problem is uh, with all that – my parents listen to the shows, so they, they're probably already figuring out a way to, to send you guys all this stuff. <laughs> Good. Yes, 
Family client, I like it. Uh, good stuff. There's another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Good stuff, gentlemen. That was a lot of fun. Uh, up next, our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. What's the holdup? NBA has delivered all their news and have figured out everything they need to start their season again on July 31st and start training camp on June 30th. Uh, what is the holdup in the NHL? Elliot Friedman fills us in in a couple minutes' time. It's Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Mr. Friedman, good afternoon. And uh, today is uh, the day that Phase 2 of the NHL's relaunch plan officially gets underway. Depending on where you are, like here in Calgary, they have not opened up team facilities yet. They're uh, doing preparations for the first part of the week and then are expected to open up the Saddledome and facilities a little bit later on this week so they can officially get Phase 2 underway. Just from who you've talked to, players, teams, so on and so forth, how how is day one of this rolled out across the league? Well, I'll tell you this. like When, that, when the Oilers sent out that photo of... You know, uh, of just like six guys on the ice. Um, I was like, I, I don't know why I was so excited. I, it was just nice to see people on the ice, just standing there in a still photo. Um, Where, wearing you know, NHL jerseys. Wearing NHL jerseys. It was nice. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's um, it depends on where you are. Like, as you said, Calgary next few days uh montreal might be a little bit longer pittsburgh's got a few guys there edmonton's got guys there um you know i think some places it's going to be longer than others and and basically it depends on who's around but um i don't think you're going to see this go overly crazy in terms of people using team facilities but it's exciting to see it the big one is obviously preparing for phase three pack uh, and by the way, uh, if you're wondering uh, who was there for the Oilers, uh, Alex Chason, Matt Benning, Chris Russell, Tyler Benson, Stuart Skinner were the five players uh, at uh, Rogers Place in Edmonton today on the ice and uh, getting some skating back in. So, and, and as you said, the big thing is when they get to phase three. So how, how long, ideally, if the NHL had everything go according to plan, how long, ideally, does phase two last for here? Does this phase last for? Yeah. I think we're looking at training camps sometime between July 10th and August 1st. And I think everybody is trying to pin down exactly what that date's going to be. I don't think we know yet. Like, there's some, there's some heavy lifting that has to get done here. Number one, they've got to work on getting um, some stuff done with, um, with, the, with the hubs. We've got to figure out where the hub cities are going to be. We've got to figure out if Canada is going to be a part of this. Um, I figure we've got another week or two to sort that out. That's number one. Number two, uh, they've got to figure out I, the, the protocols for how uh, phase three is going to work. Like, you know, one of the things that I was talking about, I just did my radio hit in Toronto. There was a player the other day who said to me that, you know, one of the things that they'd brought up in their team was, you know, when we're in training camp, um, are, is it just going to be, you know, like home slash hotel and rink? Like, 
um, and they talked about it with the hubs too. Is there a way that, you know, we could buy like for the month or two that we're in there um, restaurants that we could go to, like say four restaurants that we could go to that where we know they're just ours. So they're kind of in the bubble. And all of those conversations have got to happen, testing, all that stuff. So, like, you know, Pat, you saw that 22-page memo for page two, for phase two. Mm-hmm. Guys told me that was a lot of work. Like, you, they said, you have no idea how much work came out, had to be done to get that. So they're saying to me now, that was phase two, which is voluntary. Imagine how hard it's going to be when it's mandatory. So I think there's a lot of work to get done. Hubs, Canada. Um, the protocol and the CBA, like they're working on that all too. There's a lot to get done between now and now. So, and this is not a criticism of the NHL at all, because I understand, as you just talked about, like this is this is an arduous effort that they're going through, and this is not easy. But all of a sudden, the NBA has dates and location, and they're ready to rock and roll. Owners have ratified, players have approved, and and they're back on June 30th to training camps. So what, like, what is holding up the NHL from having the same definitives? Well, I, I think that I think the Canadian border is one thing. I, I think that is absolutely uh, one issue. Um, I think also they've got to get this whole. Uh, I think the players want to know exactly. Um, I think the players want to know exactly what the finances are going to be, and I think some players are looking at it, and they're really trying to keep this out of the public because they realize like you look at what's happening at baseball it's not pretty to see that people don't want to see that kind of argument in public right now but i i think what's happening is you know they know that if they don't play the escrow is going to be 35 i think they want to make a deal on what it would be if they do play because one player said to me that and because I've been reporting, if they do play, it might just go down to 27 or 28. And one player reached out to me, Pat. He said, it's more like we're hoping it'll go down to 27 or 28. They don't know that for sure. So, you know, he said a lot of people, they just want to know what it's going to be. They're saying, look, if, if, if we're going to take the risk and we're going to come back, we just want to know exactly what it's going to be. So that's why I think the... Uh, CBA talks have become a big part of this okay. just because I think everybody wants an understanding of if we do do this, what the outcome will be. Well, and I know that you've been saying for the last couple of weeks, whether on with the boys in the morning or on with us, you've said, you know, the, the next border announcement is what June 21st is what we're waiting for. It's due by June 21st. So, so- I think the last one and please Forgive me if I'm a little bit off on this. The last one was uh, took effect May 21st, but they announced it sooner. Like okay. today, Trudeau made the announcement that your some of your family can come across, but they still have to do a 14-day quarantine. If there's a quarantine, I, I don't think they're coming to Canada. And so is it still your belief that until that decision is announced and, and decided upon, there probably won't be news from the NHL in terms of their dates and, and their locations? Well, I would, I would say that's most likely unless they're simply running out of time and they're told, 
either either they have an indication it's not going to change, or they can't get an answer. That's kind of you know where we are. Okay, and and I know this one is not easy, but like, do you have do you have a feel on what's a realistic time frame, ballpark time frame for when the puck actually drops and, and we're watching hockey for real again? Well, I, I look at it this way. I think you're looking at a training camp of 15 days probably. Um, maybe a bit more, but I, I've heard it, it's sometime between 15 and 21 days, right? So if they're in by July 10th, and we know it's going to be no earlier than that, then you're looking at uh, the puck dropping begin the first week of August. Maybe. Everywhere, okay. every time you go later, add 15 to 22 days. Okay, and that's that's probably what you're looking at. Okay, that makes sense. Ellie, like, I think right us. now, I, I think right now, the earliest we're looking is the beginning of August. Now, the one thing I say is everything changes every day. And the league and the players could agree to negotiate something different. Like maybe enough players get skating now that they say we only need two weeks of training camp. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't. But the timeline can always change if everybody feels that it can be changed. Do you get the sense that there's any frustration from players and that they're like, we, we just want to know exactly what's happening. We want to know when we're going, where we're going. Like, do you, do you get the sense that the, yes, the I do believe there, I, I do believe there are players who want that. I think they want to know when we're going to play, if we play. Yes. I, I do think that there are players who want that. I, I just think that right now, I don't think there's a defined answer because, A, they're waiting on the border, and, B, I, I think also if, if it is important to the players, and I think it is, that they get an answer on the economics, you've got to negotiate that, and those things are never easy. Final question on on this topic, which has been the dominant topic for the last three months. But uh, final one is, you know, you talk about the border, and, and Bill Daly has been uh, very clear. Gary Bettman has been very clear that the, the 14-day self-isolation uh, for players coming over the border if they were to host games in Canada is a non-starter. How come? Because if, if, you, if you were to say that the training camp start July 15th, isn't there plenty of time for players to come back, self-isolate, and, and then be back for training camp? How come that is such a big deal? Because players don't want to do it. Okay. Is, is it simple as that, hey? Yeah, well, I mean, look at it. Like, Pat, like right now, I mean, it's like uh, if you society is opening up more and more everywhere you look, right? Who wants to isolate at the beginning of July? Yeah. Like, like, honestly, like, Pat, if you told me I had to go somewhere now and isolate for 14 days and look around what's going on out there in terms of more and more people are getting more brazen about not paying attention to social distancing, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, I could be in Toronto the other day. There was a, uh, there was a restaurant that was serving their drinks on the patio and people were freaking out about it. Um mm-hmm. I just don't think it's reasonable to expect people to do that now. I just nope. Don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, and that's that's uh, that's 
that's what I thought, but I wasn't uh, 100% sure. Elliot Friedman's with us from Hockey Night in Canada. Okay, changing gears from that subject to uh, some news that we found out today. Tell us about the Hockey Diversity Alliance and what Evander Kane and a number of other NHL players have put together here over the last few days. Well, I, I had a chance to talk briefly with Trevor Daly today about it. He's one of the members. Um, and he said they've been kind of talking about it since uh, Akeem Malou first went public uh, around the uh, beginning of December. Um, that they've kind of been discussing about what they can do. And now that you are sort of have a lot of time to figure out things you can do, they've had some opportunities to discuss it uh, even more. And, uh, you know, he said that um, they all want to make a difference. Uh, they all want to, you know, move the line, so to speak, of, what, uh, of, of, of hockey and diversity in it. And they figured that the best way to do it was to do it together. And I think the group will grow. I think there's going to be more people that are going to be part of it. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that they said they want to work with the NHL, but they're not going to be part of the NHL. I think they, they clearly want to be. Uh, a little bit uh, independent, and um, you know, I, you know, I, 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 they, they were on some Zoom calls with Colin Kaepernick. One of the people who's involved with this is is Kaepernick's attorney, who also now represents Akeem Alou. And they talked a little bit about you know Kaepernick and the things that he went through and the things he believes in, and and what kind of advice he gave them uh, in standing up for your beliefs when not everybody is with you. And I think the biggest difference between what Kaepernick went through and the time that this is starting is that I think there's more and more people, obviously right now, who would go back and say, if I could look at my opinion when Kaepernick did it, I might feel differently. And so that's one of the conversations they had. And, you know, as, as, as Trevor Daly said to me, he just wants to make sure that more people like him have an opportunity to play hockey and also see him and his children as equal that happened when he was young. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I think it's a great idea, and and I'm glad that they're doing this. It's it, it's funny, and I'd be curious as to your opinion on this. Like, I, I was a little disappointed at the time going back to November because we were right in the belly of the beast during the mm-hmm. the whole Bill Peters Akima Lou situation that dominated our airwaves for five straight days and it was mm-hmm. at times it, our text line was extremely uncomfortable to read and and there were some uh, real difficult things that we were that that we saw written on our text line um, mm-hmm. and and so I just I remember that and. It was disappointing at the time that we didn't see NHLers come out and say, I'm standing with the Kimaloo or, or teams come out. There was, there was none of that at the time. And, and I'm glad that that's happening now in the wake of what we're seeing around the world and, and specifically in the United States. But so I, I guess I guess for me, I, I'm disappointed that it didn't happen earlier. But I guess in the big picture, Elliot, it's a good thing that we're seeing some of the most prominent names in the NHL come out and 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 lend a voice and, and standing against a, a really serious issue here. Well, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I've done like a lot, like, I think like everybody else, I've done a lot of thinking about this. Um, you know, I, I think one thing that's very clear is that the, the next generation, like I'm about to turn 50, the, the, 
younger generation than myself, they're very different. Then their attitudes and their ways about things are very different than when I grew up. And they are much, uh, I, like I think they're much more colorblind than we were. Um, even I think people who are good people and want to do the right thing, I think this younger generation is even more that way. And I think this younger generation looks at, you know, their economics, the economic situation for themselves, which is looks a lot more bleak than ours was. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this whole system in a lot of ways is BS and we want to topple it. And, you know, now I think the other thing too is um, like even, like even people um, I think who are very supportive of police have seen some of the videos on social media that have been happening, and they're looking at that and going, yeah, some of these things can't happen. And I, I think, so I think that overall, we're all kind of looking back and saying, okay, what don't we know or what didn't we understand? Like, I, I read for myself, like, I read all these, art, I, I've seen a lot of things about defund the police. All I've been doing the last little while, in addition to my job, is just reading about it. Like, what does this mean? And I yep. think we're all trying to educate ourselves. And yep. I have to tell you that today, Pat, I read, and people in Calgary know both Sherry and Dwayne Ford really well. Like, if you haven't read that Sherry Ford piece today, like, that's, that's really something. That is a, a powerful, powerful piece of writing. And I thought about it a lot after I read it. I just think that we're all opening our, 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 because we're all kind of sitting around doing nothing right now because the world has come to a standstill. I think we all have a lot of time to think. And I think some of us are being, are seeing things that we just weren't aware of or didn't understand or didn't know. Yeah. I, and, and, and I think that's, that's very well said. Um, what is happening in Ottawa with Eugene Melnick? The team owner seems to have found himself in hot water again. Can you kind of help us wade through it? What's happening in our nation's capital? Well, um, you know, there was a story that broke last week about the Ottawa Sanders Foundation and Eugene Melnick, the owner of the Sanders, they were breaking up. But the contract for the Sanders Foundation to represent the team was coming up and they announced that they couldn't reach out a deal and the senators were going to have to find a new charity. And today a story came out from the Ottawa Sun. And I will tell you, I had heard in the past that Eugene Melnick, who received an organ donation that saved his life, wanted more money to go towards organ donation. And it had been a bit of a disagreement between the two. And people who knew about that disagreement, Pat, um, felt that it was going to be a problem long-term, and it was. But today came another story out of the Ottawa Sun, which looked like if it, and I didn't, I was looking at this today. Someone gave me a bit of an, a primer on how to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you go through uh, Canada Revenue ta uh, tax uh, return information that's online, it sure looks like, the amount of money that's been donated, like for a long time, people told me that the best charity, like the best charity in terms of percentage of money 
to donate to that actually got used for charity was the Salvation Army. And they always said, check for places that have high turnover, percentage of funds you donate that actually go to the charities. And Melnick, in 2017, I think it was, his charity, 37% went to charity, the rest to fees and other things. But last year it was like 5%. Hmm. And it's like, he bet, he has, you have to have a good explanation for this stuff. And from what I understand, he is going to try to come out with an explanation. But like when, when everything's going the way it's going in Ottawa, Pat, you can't have that. Yeah. So is this, this could be potentially a big deal then? It is. Like, if you have a charity that only 5% of your, like years ago, USA Today did a big thing on athlete charities. And they put it on the front page. And it's like, I remember, like, Bertie Williams, the center fielder for the Yankees, like, like less than 10% of his charity actually went towards what it was hoping to go to. And, like, it was embarrassing. Like, one, one per, like a couple of years ago, I was looking at doing some charity work, and I'm still looking at it. And someone said to me, I give you one piece of advice. And I said, okay, what's that? And they said, if you're going to do a charity and you're going to put your name on it, you better make sure that money is going to where it's supposed to go. Because, hmm. one, obviously you have a responsibility to do it. And, number two, if it ever gets out that your charity is, is not delivering that money, it's it's an embarrassment that you're never going to get over. Yeah. And I've always remembered that. If you do these things, you have to do them right. You have a moral obligation to do them right. And I'm always willing to get an explanation, but the optics here don't look good. And I should shout out a Sanders fan on Twitter by the name of Graham Nichols, who today was so mad at that story he said the $5,000 that they, that they gave in 2018, we can beat that in a couple hours. And Sanders fans did it. Yeah. Yeah, and I also, I also read a pretty interesting tweet about the whole thing. It was just like people in Ottawa are, are so eager to love their team, but it's been a real difficult slog for them to do that over the last number of years, which I was like, I can imagine. It, is not, it has not been friendly to be a Sens fan over the last couple of years. Well, it's tough, too. Like, if you look at the, just the purely hockey team this year, they didn't have a great record, but they took a step. They have good young players, and they played hard. And, and now, like, the tough thing for them is they're not going to play for nine months, right? Yep. And you're sitting there, and you're like, oh, man. Like, these are the stories. Like, you can't drop a puck and play a good game to erase that story. Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider. Great stuff, as always. He joins us every Monday on the program. That's up at sportsnet.ca slash 960, as is our chat with Ryan Pike of flamesnation.ca. That'll do it for the program. Up next, in conversation with Ron McClain at 6 o'clock, it's Tim and Sid. For Logan Gordon, Peter Klein, my name is Pat Steinberg. We'll talk to you tomorrow. It's been Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.